I'm I'm proclaiming this and I'm saying it out loud at this dinner, dude. And I just bust out crying, bro. I got the churrasco there. I got the white rice. Yeah. I got the beans, bro. I got the plantains. I'm like, I got tears all in all in my damn plate, dog. I'm talking boo-hooing, dog. Like the the waitress came over. It was like, is the food okay? It's like, I'm like, nah, this shit is straight. Like, I'm just, <laughs> it's fire. It's fire. Let me, I'm just crying right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here. Now you're recording. So okay. you're live on YouTube, Spotify, Google All Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. I don't know what else. All of So what's up, Mojo? Oh my gosh, dude. I think uh, today is like my Tuesday. Today's um, your Yeah, dude. Because uh, I feel like I've been running on like so much energy right now and i'm kind of like mm. so y'all already got the the flamingo here you got the 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 orchids and all that so i feel i feel pretty chill dog. yeah it you smell feel, nice in here there you go yeah no that's you you came in smelling all, all perfumed up i was like yo you don't need cologne on a podcast nobody can smell you out there but you're good this is my second shower dog. <laughs> it's noon so mojo um so you're an artist yes um I don't even know where to start though. <laughs> right? I feel like I feel like I've known you for a while actually, and I'm going to have them pull one of your pieces of art off the wall. Mm-hmm. Um I've been a fan of yours for a bit. I'm a collector of your art. 100%. Um and uh, it was just I think it was like the mixture of a comic book style and then just very urban. Yeah. I just related to it, right? I yeah. could see it. Yeah. Oh, what's this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Little Havana. This is my boy. Yeah, this is little... dude. Yes, so we'll start sir. with this right here, Little Havana. Yeah, man. This is not an original, people. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Can't afford it. But I'll get there. <laughs> yes, you So actually, I'm just going to start off talking about this piece mm. um, and telling you why I related to it when I saw it. Um, so Little Havana, just to me, is, is a fighter. I, I'm, I'm a lover of the fight game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a avid UFC fan. Yep. And I think the reason more than anything is because I feel like we're all fighters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like we're all in a fight. We're all in a ring. And that ring sometimes exists in our minds. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're battling against the world that's around us. Mm-hmm. Some of us have a coach in our corner. Some of us don't. Yep. But either way, you're going to get your teeth knocked out. 100%. And you better come ready to go to war. <laughs> yes. So that's why Little Havana, to me, just yeah. represented a, a, young, a young kid in the struggle. Um, obviously, I'm not black, but it's okay. I still relate. He's Afro-Cuban. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there you go. So, yeah. it's my people. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. Actually, I'm 10% Nigerian. I got to tell everybody. What? I did 23 and me. Oh, I, I am 10% Nigerian. Okay. Therefore, I don't know if it's right for me to say, but I am part of the Black Lives Matter movement now. Uh, 100%. <laughs> so, you need to be out there with them signs. No, no. <laughs> no, but for real, like, I just feel that, um, I just feel like him specifically, that piece is represents each and every one of us right mm-hmm. and so my question to you is why did you paint him why why was little havana important to you you know um <clears throat> when i moved down to miami one thing that uh i realized was how close-knit like black black um people are like caribbean and everything and and latinos are like how how um unified we are in our history is like intertwined <clears throat> and also too, like for me, a lot of my art is a lot. It, it's based on like things I go through in my own life. So I kind of like use my artwork as like um, a way to express myself. So with Little Havana, like I was really going through it, dude. Like I felt like I was um, 
you know, doing art full time, which is like one of the hardest things to do, right? Like, or at least people perceive to be uh, one of the hardest things to do. And, you know, I I was researching like boxing and like a workout and things like that. And boxing is something I want to like try, you know, uh, just for myself, just to try something new. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I want to make something too, though. I want to make, I want to make a piece. <clears throat> and so I drew this piece of this little kid and, um, and he had both his teeth in his mouth, you know? And I was like, but wait a minute, he's a fighter, though. Mm-hmm. Like, a fighter, like, you're going to get your shit socked. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, if you're going to get socked in the mouth, like, what happens if you really get your teeth knocked out? And as a as an artist and as a, as a visionary and also as, um, like, a comic book artist, like, that's what I went to school for. Like, I'm always trying to tell a story, like, multiple stories in one image. And so with that, I was like, well, I'm just going to black out that one tooth right there Mm -hmm. and it's going to make it look like he lost it. And so to paint that, I was actually at um, what what uh, Carnival on a Mile, I think 2018 or 19. Okay, I think it was 2019. And I was painting it live and I was super nervous to paint it live because at that time, like I was still nervous of filling up the the image with color like because i was like man i could pick these areas and i don't want to mess it up i'm gonna stop mm-hmm. and with that one i'm painting in front of everybody everybody's like looking at what i'm doing and um and at that point i was like you know what i just gotta like let all of that go and just and fight and just do it and finish it and just however it ends it just ends and so making that piece in in um miami around like a lot of cuban americans and 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 immigrants and things like that and also learning more about my history and how it may connect or it does connect with the caribbean and also black cuban Mm -hmm. and so i was like i'm just gonna name it little havana i'm gonna make sure he looked like a fighter and that when people look at this they're gonna be like man like i see myself in that and that's where that piece kind of came from. Super dope. And where have where you said that you were going through a lot at that point in your life? What what was going on? You know, um, as a as a man, you know, like, and plus he's a little boy too, so that's very important, right? So I have a son, and my son is sixteen now. He lives with me now, uh, and that was a big fight to get him. Mm. You know what I mean? And um, I had to fight against my own circumstances, like my own decisions. Um, and I had to legally like fight to get him and things like that. And when you said you had to fight through your own decisions, what do you mean by that? So what I mean my own decisions is like, um, you know, being in a relationship uh, when I had him very early on at nineteen. Um, you know, my circumstances that I allowed to happen was basically like his mom. You know, and we're at we're at a way better space now. But during that time, like you know, she. She showed a lot of the responsibility when it came to our son. Me, I was the the father that was like seeing him every couple weekends or something like that, talking to him on the phone and and uh, what's that Facetime. Okay. But I knew that wasn't enough. You know what I'm saying? And but so I was. Were you down here and he was in St. Louis or? Like yeah, like I was here and then also too um, when I was going to college and things like that. But when we were like younger, like 19, 20, 21 and stuff like that, you know our relationship was not good. And so my son was in the middle of that. And that was one of the spots where, you know, I had a void that was missing that I was trying to fill other ways, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, okay, maybe this is like good enough. And when I was making Little Havana, um, this is around time, like, dude, 
when I first came to Miami, all the money I was making as an artist when I first started was going to plane tickets and court, dog. Like, that's what it was going for. So I would go from working on something in Miami, do that, fly to St. Louis. Go to, go to St. Louis, go to court, um, talk to lawyers and things like that, get caught up on child support. Uh, and so I could get my passport and fly and then come back to Miami. Oh, because had you not paid child support, you couldn't... Woo! You can't you can't fly. What do you mean? Okay, so any brothers <laughs> yeah. out there that's on child support, uh, <laughs> if you are, if you are uh, twenty five hundred in the hole, you can't fly nowhere. You on a no fly zone. Twenty five. If you owe twenty five or more, uh, twenty five hundred. Not yeah. twenty five. Uh, not twenty two hundred and fifty dollars. Two hundred. Uh, two thousand five hundred. Two thousand five hundred. Yeah. And so, um, me, I was like seven. Yeah. Like it was hard. And so when I first um, graduated from college, and um, I think it was 2015, like, because I went back um, to school. When I came back, uh, I was like, all right, man, I, I got, I'm getting everything together. Yeah. I'm, I'm teaching. I'm making a, a $1,400 every two weeks <laughs> uh, with, with, with extra classes. I was like, um, you know, I, let, let me, I'm, I can financially help now, especially like going to school and doing like side jobs and just sending money orders and stuff. And, um, and when I was put on child support, <laughs> I, I had like a, a really good job that I got fired from a week after I started, mm -hmm. which I was making more money there. So you're saying, oh, you turned in the, the child support paperwork. Oh, and I had a good ass job. So, so then they determine how much you have to pay monthly. Yes. And then suddenly you find yourself jobless, but then the court is still expecting that sum of money. Yes. What's the process like to change that again? Uh, So the only way to change that is... <laughs> First of all, they're not changing that shit. Uh, they they they're gonna make you adjust and adapt. Okay. Um, they don't you really got, care. Like you got to step. You set this bar, and now you got to step up. Yeah. So I had to step up to that. And so, like I said, I'm making four fourteen hundred dollars teaching um, in St. Louis uh, as a college uh, professor. And then um, when I was on that child support, dude, I was like, this is at the point in my life where. If my circumstances were were grave as they were, like I had no answer and I would not move. Like I was paralyzed by my um my circumstances. Yeah. Like I would allow it to to paralyze me and stuff. Wait, so how old were you at this point in time? I had to be. So your 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 baby was born at nineteen. He ain't a I baby was 19, anymore. Nineteen. So so how old were you when you had to you started going to court and all that stuff? Um, that was like almost four years ago. Like it was almost four years ago because uh, when I would speak to my cousin who is a lawyer as well, I was like, yo, what do I do? Like, hey, I, I want him. Like, what do I do? It's like, I'm trying to be the nice guy. And that's when I realized a nice guy, you, you do kind of finish last. And I was like, man, I'm trying to be a nice guy. I'm trying to work work it out with her. I'm trying to be nice. And I, if, if I tread on if I tread on these waters, maybe, you know, she can she'll let me let him come over mm -hmm. type of thing. And that, it will work. And then when she like, I don't really feel like dealing with you today. Like I ain't answering your call, uh, then you can't see him. Like, and then now I'm like, what do I do? So the court thing happened simply because I was like, I'm tired of not being in control of my life and my relationship with my son. Mm -hmm. Like me and my son, like mad tight. We was always tight, mm -hmm. but it was just a fact that like I wanted him way more than like allowing a circumstance to dictate my relationship with him. And so with the court thing happened. I was so happy. Like, I was really happy because at first, like, I was really 
um, afraid because I was like, well, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Yeah. But when I was like actually in it, dude, like when okay, so when you when you're trying to get partial custody and uh, visitation rights, um, it's a whole process. It sounds like, it sounds like you, it's so crazy because you just said that, and I'm thinking about it's almost as if you're seeing an inmate. <laughs> right, hey, you get you need visitation rights. This visitation rights, and this is your child. It's a child, your child. Dog. You you love them, you care about them, you mm. want to just be with them, mm-hmm. and you have to go through a process. You got to go through a process to show that, yeah, like you got to show pictures of where you live. You got to do all. Uh, oh, you got to show a picture of your fridge. Oh yeah, you got to show a picture of your fridge with is food it, in it. Is is, is, it, is, it, is it is the food in it? Is the light on in that shit? Is it baking soda on the side That's on the door? So is it crazy? <laughs> you got you got water, and uh, better have no beer. No, I'm just kidding. Meanwhile, um, we have kids <laughs> in the foster care system that are you know being uh, physically abused, neglected, and people are collecting a paycheck in many cases. Oh my god! So they just have kids in their house that they're not even taking care of, but the government's paying them. Meanwhile, here's a father who wants to be a part of their child's life. And you're almost barred from it. Mm-hmm. And and I realized, and, and I took accountability for this, and I and we'll continue talking about this yeah. too. Is that like, um, I took accountability for the fact that like I allowed it to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like I I felt like you know, um, if I tread the waters with her, like I could see him. Mm-hmm. And if I you know raise a little head, like man, I don't like that he's doing this and. You know, there's things I want to change and like, well, you know, like it's the back and forth. And I knew that because I allowed it that like I really can't complain, mm-hmm. you know. And when I went to court, like I started feeling relief. Like I, I started like that's the word for me right now is relief. Um, and when I went to court, I changed my whole perspective on it. I was like, well, I'm actually going to this because I want him that badly that I'm going to fly from Miami to St. Louis, like I'm going to stay there and I'm going to say what I want, like talk to my lawyer and like bear all and be vulnerable with like my finances, like what I got, what I don't have, yeah. you know, at the time and stuff. And then being like, well, they at the first time, and this kind of goes with business, like, well, what do you want? And like, uh, what do you want? I was like, yeah, I, I want them all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, if I could get them all the time, I want them. And, um, so going to court, like I'm, I'm happy and shit. Like <laughs> I'm walking there, got my suit on, you know. Mm-hmm. Walking in there, like I want to show, like I'm an upstanding citizen, you know. Like, hey, I did, here's my taxes, you mm-hmm. know. Even though it took me hella long to do these taxes because I was, I didn't want to pay them damn things. <laughs> but here they go, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and oh yeah, by the way, I didn't, I didn't lick. We liquidated all of that child support that I owed and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So what do you got? Like what you can't tell me no. And. I just remember going to that, and his mom was pissed, dude. She was so mad, and I'm just smiling. I'm just sitting there. My mom, my mom came and stuff. She's sitting on the outside. She knows she'd be praying. She, that's my Bible thumper <laughs> right there. Um, my mom too. <laughs> my mom was a, a, a prayer, dude. Um, and so, being at the being at the seat, I just remember uh, being with the lawyers, and then like having the the uh, the, the mediator in, in between. And I remember her saying, like, you know, he didn't do this and do that. And then she'll stop. But he's really a good dad, though. Like, he's really good. And then and then her lawyer's like, stop talking. Yeah. Like, stop. And so a- as it continued, 
I learned too is like it doesn't like they're always thinking about the interests of the child. Yeah. They don't it doesn't matter if it's the woman or the man. Like as long as the kid is in good hands, we we really don't care. Do you feel that's the case? Is it do you genuinely you feel it's that way? I I do now. Okay. Like I mean, when I went in there I was like I I was nervous as a man because like, you know, they don't we don't know much about what our options are. You know what I'm saying? I hella didn't know my options until uh, having legal advice, you know, and also this is one of the moments in my life, especially now is like not taking no for an answer. Like, I'm like, nah, like he's coming. Like, I need that. Like he needs that. And, um, going to court, then having to do like the, the parental class. Oh man, you should see the parents in that shit. Dude. <laughs> oh man. That, that was so funny because all of the parents do like blaming the other parent. Like it's because of them. They didn't. And then, uh, and then you have to go through a class. It's three hours. It's a three-hour class that you have to take if you want to get this this custody. So I'm in. I'm in class. Like, yeah, I'm ready. I got my. I got my paper. I got my pencil. I'm like taking down notes. And you got other people. And then I had this moment uh, where I just got up and I was like, you know what? I was like, yo, we all trying to fight for our kids, dude. Like all the other shit. Like it. Like just take. Just take the. Just take the accountability, man. Like we all. We're all parents and we're all people and we make mistakes and it's not a blame game, dude. It's the kids. But isn't that what most of us do? We all do that. Isn't it so easy for people, rather than looking in the mirror, for them to look across and look outside of themselves and say, oh, it's their fault. Somebody loses their job. Oh, it's the business's fault. Mm-hmm. Some The relationship ends. Oh, it's her fault. It's his fault. Yes. Um, the kid, like anything happens and we love to place blame on other people on external factors. When the only way that you're going to grow as a human mm-hmm. is by saying, all right, I could see where things went wrong outside of this, mm-hmm. but what could, where was my power in changing the situation? Oh, man. Dude, and you know what's special about that? And th- this is how God works. I don't know if anybody like spiritual like that, but I'm very, very spiritual. Um, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2012. Mm-hmm. She's thriving now, by the way. She's like, she's she's killing it. She she just told me she uh she's at 166 pounds now. That's crazy. Like and and thriving. She's like, I got my beach body ready. So when I come <laughs> down there, she like, don't be don't be trying to hate. I'm like, ma, you know. So um, my mom was like, you know, she kept proclaiming what she wanted her life to be like. I want to see my grandson. I want to see my son graduate from college. I want to see him thrive. I want to see. My my daughter do her thing. She wanted. She she kept saying that over and over and over again, and she reinstilled faith in me too. Cause I'm watching her do it. Like I'm watching her. She ain't just saying it, mm-hmm. which we learned about parenting. It's like I can say these things, but I'm only going to respond to what you do, right? So she was like, I want to see my grandson, and so this is where the accountability train goes for me. I was like, all right, you're right. I called his mom, and I was like, look. Whatever we got going on, man, like, can we just nip that shit in the bud? Let's just nip it in the bud, dude. Like, I don't have the energy to keep doing this fighting, going back and forth stuff. Like, my mom is sick, and she really wants to see Jaden, dude. Like, so whatever we got going on, let's nip that shit in the bud. Mm -hmm. And I was like, please, like, I'm talking bare all. Like, I'm here. I'm not going to interrupt you. Go say what you need to say. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you know, I felt like this. And, you know, I was, like, by myself. And, you know, but I knew that, like, I did that. I did that because... You know, and so she's like, 
saying why she, <clears throat> excuse me, that's why why she felt the way she felt. And I was like, all right, man, that's I completely understand how you feel. I was like, let me tell you how I feel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I want to be there. You know what I mean? And when we don't get along, it's like it's it's a wedge. And after we got that talk off, and after the court, she hated that. But when we came out of that, then it was more like, well, he's the focus, though. Like, it ain't about us no more. So he started coming down, like, uh, every summer. And so he'd be come down for two weeks. Then he'd come down for three weeks. And then he was like, Dad, I kind of I want to stay here. I was like, all right. Like, I said, it's going to be different, though. <laughs> like, it, it's going to be different. I like, but, you know, I, I, want, I want you to be here. Mm-hmm. So here's the accountability train. Did you ask him why? Did you did you talk to him a little yep. bit about in terms of like why are you choosing that uh, you want to be with me? What's going on? He said one sentence, and he says it all the time, and and I, I'm and I'm learning to really like let him talk, mm-hmm. you know. And one of the things he said was I wanted more time, mm-hmm. and he and I said, well, why do you want more time? And he was like, he said, because it just didn't feel right. And he was like, I really want to be around you more. You know what I'm saying? I was like, dude, I want, I want the same thing, mm-hmm. you know? So here's the accountability train. So I, I pulled him to the side. And I'm always telling him I love him all the time. I'm doing all the things that, you know, like my dad didn't do. But my dad did show love, but he was really like, he was Marine. So he was hard. Mm-hmm. But um, I went to my son and I told him, I was like, look, man, like I apologize for allowing my circumstances to keep me away from you. And and like your like my relationship with your mom at the time keep us keep us like not together, and and spending that time, all the things that we love doing like we still do them like everything. And I was like, I apologize for that. And I was like, I also apologize that you know, uh, you ain't athletic because like if I was like <laughs> if I was in your life, you would be doing all of this shit. Uh-huh. Like, you know what I mean? Like it wouldn't be dra- like pulling teeth trying to get you to come out here and do this shit. Um and so um but we laugh about it now and and I told him I was like, you know, I like I, I apologize for that. I was like, but but guess what though? We at the point where I'm about to fast forward this shit. Uh-huh. Like, you know what I mean? Um but at the same time too is that knowing like that time isn't limited like it was, mm-hmm. you know, um, because I went through that that process of getting caught up with child support um, and fighting for him in court, like in a space where like I am nervous, but then I just changed my my um, perspective about it and was like, well, I'm here to get him. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to do anything else but that. Mm-hmm. And so when I did that and his mom kind of calm down because then she like I'm seeing how you like stepping up because like he even combated me a little bit you know and and I every time I talk to him, it's like matter of fact he's coming mm-hmm. he's doing this and but then there's times I'm like I want to revert back and be like all right well what do you think yeah. and as soon as I do that then the shit don't happen but if I say this is happening this is what's happening then that's what happened how so how long has he been with you he's been living with me since uh december what's that so it's six you're six months in right <laughs> six months in, dude. so you're six and you, he's how old you said 16 so he's six so you got 16. a 16 year old at home <sighs> and how many years were you kind of apart where you weren't in his life as much as you wanted to be i think the when he was really little i saw him all the time yeah like like a lot when um he was around like six ish to about like 
eight and nine, like there was moments where like no no contact. Wow, like yeah. the like like I'm calling, going straight to voicemail. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would do with the little money I made from <laughs> from uh, uh, UPS loading yeah. boxes in that hot ass truck uh, <laughs> <laughs> for three years—that was the most depressing shit ever. Uh-huh. Um, and um, I was like, man, my life is way better than this, man. No, no, no diss to nobody working there, dude. I was like, I can't do this shit, dude. Um, but I would send I send little money orders, like you know what I mean, with little cards. I would like handwrite like uh, notes to to Jaden and tell him how much I love him, and I would like draw like. Uh, like a, a dad face and a little kid face, and I would like uh, send him that, you know. Does and he remember that? I don't. I, I'm gonna ask him. I never really asked. Yeah. Him. I never really asked him, but like I, I sent it because I didn't send it for me. Like you know how sometimes like you give stuff because you want to feel good for yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was like, nah, dude. I'm sending this for him. You know. So, it was it was that space when I and I told his mom I was like when I got a chance to go to SCAD and stuff like that because um, when I was at the community college What's uh, SCAD? I'm sorry. Uh, SCAD is a Savannah College of Art and Design. Oh, okay. So like really great school. Um, I transferred to go there from the community college <clears throat> and when I was in St. Louis like I would see him like uh, every other weekend so we worked out something. We, we got cordial for a moment you know mm-hmm. and so she was like letting him come over and, and, and stuff like it's funny I say the word let because it shouldn't be let. Um, <laughs> let him come over. Yeah. Um, so when I went to college, uh, when I when I left and went to Savannah, um, I was hyper focused because I was like, if I'm going to have my son, it's definitely going to be with this career. It's a hundred percent going to be with this. I'm not making nobody coffee. I'm not sweeping no floors, dog. I'm not loading no damn boxes again. <laughs> and and I was like, I'm not doing that. I was like, it's going to be this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it was when it was time. It was time, it was time, and and then with the with the court when I came back from that and I and I did that. That's when it was like there was no he can't come no more. Yeah. It's like that shit's on paper. So wait, so how have these last six months been for you? I'm oh sure I'm God. sure they haven't been all you know. All, just... It's not all roses, right? <laughs> no, dude, no. Oh my God. So so he he lives in St. Louis. So like very uh isolated you know it's not a lot going on in st louis it's gray you know what i mean um then he comes out to st uh, he comes out to miami so the first time he came out to miami because he came out for the summers so he he got a new miami haircut he got a mohawk he got parts and zigzags in his hair uh he got you know swimming trunks and all this uh all this kind of stuff so in the last six months like he's taking that and taking it to like to the 10th um power so he goes to miami senior so i had to like rile up all this paperwork and all of this stuff to get him to go to miami senior that's where he goes right and i'm talking cutting up dude like i'm I'm talking like i ain't got no homework i'm like dog you a sophomore in high school how you ain't got no homework Uh bro like you think i ain't been to high school bro uh and then he's like no 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 you know i ain't got no homework and he playing baseball and bless his heart, man. He got a lot of practicing to do uh-huh. uh, and and having a hard time with that. But then also um, we having way more talks because now he's like in my house. Like I see him every day. So I get, I'm getting to know him again. You know what I'm saying? He's not, he is not that, that little kid that was playing with Ninja Turtles and, 
and eating pizza with me and playing video games and giving him a, a controller that's not connected no, to the got, to, you have almost a grown man in your house <laughs> dude he's he's and, and i had to like really like really adjust my thinking on that because at first i'm like oh man he can't do this and you know um he can't walk by himself and you know um like a job why why do he need a job right now he needs to focus on school and then i was like yeah he needs that shit. <laughs> he needs that damn job he need he needs these things why what are some values that you want so now you're, you have a 16 year old man in your house what are some values that you're trying to instill in him and and actually now looking back what are the things that you want to do differently than what your dad did with you growing up? I, I think those two things are important, right? What values do you want to instill in him? And then what do you want to do differently than what your dad did with you? You know, um, the thing with my father, because it, it does, it plays a role because I'm in the middle, yeah. right? Like I'm in, in between my father and my son, right? And the formative years that I really needed my father, he was he was gone. He was murdered. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? He was murdered at like when I was like 10. I can't remember if I was 10 or 12. Um, but he was murdered in St. Louis. Um, car car uh, deal going wrong, basically. And when I grew up, I had no male, uh, I would say consistent male um, tutelage mm -hmm. type of thing. Now, definitely my mom had, like, some some male friends that were really great. Like, Calvin, shout out to Calvin. Every time uh, Father's Day happened, I called him. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Because he, he was at every basketball game. He was at every baseball game. Um, he was a guy that, like, yo, Tony, let's go for a ride, and we'll just talk about stuff. And he really, like, took on that responsibility, and he didn't even have to do that. And, that, and that's just one of my mom's friends, you know. And um, so with my father – he was military drill sergeant. That's exactly how I am with him, like with Jaden, in, in specific space, especially with like working out and, and doing stuff. Um, but my father was his way of showing love was like, I'm here. I You got food on the table. You got clothes on your back. And uh, I'm teaching you how to dribble this basketball. And uh, I'm telling you to do chores. <clears throat> That's that was his love. Mm -hmm. He didn't really say it that much. You know what I'm saying? And but that's how he grew up. So it wasn't affection and it wasn't like these deep conversations or talks. It was more no. so like, I'm here to make you into a structure, like structurally, you're gonna become a man. This is these are sports, these are chores, and good luck. Yeah, and good luck. And and, yeah. and the other thing he would do is too is like, because I was like a bad kid too. Like I, I did bad shit. Like if you knew me now, you're like, damn, like you really was doing that? Like you was really like taking baseballs and throwing it at like garage glass doors dude like yeah i was that dude <laughs> yeah. i'm the dude that would jump on top of something lie and say i wasn't doing it yeah. did it got my ass yeah. beat um and so when i realized that um my father's father was abusive mm -hmm. and his father like never home with the mom abusive and also um he talked down to his son like mm -hmm. he didn't uplift his son drinking problem, couldn't read, couldn't write, any of that kind of stuff. So your dad was actually a better version than what his dad was. Exactly. And yeah. so my dad, he he would say, he told my mom this, and, and my mom would always, like, my mom still talks about this man like he's alive. And like, I love that man. He he was so fine. Was, <laughs> you look just like your daddy and all this. And so um, when uh, my father would always say, like, um, I'm going to be at all my, my, my kids' stuff. I'm going to be at all of that. Like, I'm going to be there. 
for them and stuff like that. So for him, like him physically being there was enough, you know. Um, and discipline was like paramount for him, you know. And so, but then that goes all the way full circle. So when I'm in trouble, like I'm getting my ass beat. I'm talking like my mom would tell me like stories of like I got in trouble. My dad hold me upside down with one leg, with one leg, whoop my ass with a belt, dog. <laughs> like, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't remember that. I probably blocked that shit out or something. Yeah, you know? it's trauma. Um, and so, but my dad was really structured. He was disciplined. He was super disciplined. Like he he ran miles every morning. Like I never saw this stuff, but he ran. He worked out. He did push ups in between commercial breaks on on shows and shit. Um, he ate really fast and would be sleep like at the table. Like he was all of that. Like like Marine. I saw it. Yeah. Like you know, and but I remember like when I would get in trouble. Like he and. Uh, he, you know, he, he was like physical, so he would whoop me, you know what I'm saying? Like it was, he wasn't abusive, like just slap me around. But if I did something wrong, if I was lying, uh, if I wasn't showing respect, if I didn't do what I was supposed to do or did, did what I, what I said I was going to do, like I got it, you know? Um, and he told my mom this one time, he was like, if I don't get him, the police will. That's what he was thinking, like in his mind. So if I don't instill discipline in my child... A police officer will. Yeah, they like it, they don't care about your discipline at that point. Like mm-hmm. now, like I, we control we control whatever you do mm-hmm. at that point. And I understood it as I got older. When I was a kid, I could not understand. I'm like, damn, like my dad is like rough, dude. Yeah. Like you know, or if I'm playing basketball and and I know I, I find myself doing these things. Um, if I'm playing basketball and I'm doing something great in the game as a, as a grade school kid. And then I miss my free throws. He's only talking about the free, free throws. throws yeah. He's only like, yo, you you bricking free throws. Like, that's free. Like, you need to make those. I think that's an important point that you're making right now. And I think a lot of people have lived it. And I, and I remember some of my friends um, having that same experience on the baseball field or the basketball court where they, they love this game as a child. Mm-hmm. Their dad becomes the coach, let's say. Was your dad the coach? Oh my god. You see? So he your was dad a governor. So there you go. So he was the he they have their their dad is the coach on the sideline or on the on the court. Mm-hmm. Um and they feel like they love this game, they love this sport, they're really enthusiastic about it, mm-hmm. but their dad is so hard on them throughout that rather than them encouraging them and letting allowing that, that relationship with the game to flourish, mm-hmm. they actually just smother it. Yes. So they smother that fire. The kid loses enthusiasm. My cousin did the exact opposite. He was playing baseball. Mm-hmm. My cousin Johnny, shout out to Johnny. Um, shout out to Johnny. Johnny played baseball, and mm-hmm. so did his other brother Michael. But and mm-hmm. my my uncle Tassi was always uh, super hard on him. And Johnny just said, "I'm gonna do the exact opposite." He stopped playing baseball and picked up a saxophone. Mm. You know, to a Cuban dad who loves baseball, and you just want to become a musician. You're going down the wrong road, son. Mm. <laughs> so, and them kids are good, bro. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> bro, when I tell you, when I'm looking at Jaden playing baseball with them high school, them boys are good, mm-hmm. dog. But go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say. Good. <laughs> well, the guys that he's playing baseball with right now? Dude. Yeah, they're good. They've been playing like, their whole life. Bro, like I'm talking like the pitchers are ridiculous. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm hearing the whistle. Shoot. Like I'm like I'm like Jaden. Good luck, bro. Good luck out there. <laughs> you said you play baseball. Okay, you're gonna put you're gonna be right next to some cats that actually play baseball. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. It's yeah. Baseball is a sport where if you haven't been playing your whole life, a ball flying 80, 85 miles per hour at you, 
It's no joke. Mm-hmm. You, he better learn to bunt. <laughs> yeah, bro, he you better, better learn how to put your shoulder down, take that shit on the shoulder, and walk on base because you're not hitting that, dog. <laughs> you're not hitting that shit. What do you? I think he can. I think he could definitely. If he had, listen, if he has, if he has the right mindset, he can definitely develop the ability to hit the ball. I promise you, man. It's I, not gonna happen tomorrow. Nah. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Oh, we could talk about generational and kids and hard work and all of that because, yeah. Yeah, so, I get it. So, so actually, so, I was going to – let me interrupt you real quick. Yeah. Um, In terms of how did your how did your father's death affect you at that point oh in time? Gosh, so you're 10 bro. years old all of a sudden. So dad was part of your life every day. Every day. As much as he, he was a disciplinarian and you felt like he was hard, he was present. Dude. So what did the absence of your father, how did that affect your life? Oh, my gosh. It, it affected me so much, man. And this is recent, too, because I used to, I never really, like, delved into his death because I never really um, accepted it, I guess. I it, it, it was there, but I never really accepted, like, man, like, he's, like, for real gone. Like, you know what I mean? Like, his presence, like, at our house, if I went to the basement, felt that presence mm-hmm. 100%. Like, like, when I walked down, like, damn, he's here. He's here for real. Still, I can smell him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, he smells cologne. Like, he, he wore, like, uh, Polo Safari. Okay. So, like, that green bottle, mm-hmm. that I didn't think that would smell good. But, like, he, you could smell him, dog. Like, still, like, years and years and years. Dude, that was one of the hardest times. As I look back at it now, I was, it was rough on me. And I think I didn't, um, I didn't speak on my emotions. Uh, I held a lot of things in, so that that definitely made me very angry very quickly. So I had an anger problem. That was the first thing, anger. Anger was the first thing. Um, And I was always trying to morph into something to keep people around. So, like, if if I really liked drawing and I liked uh, cartoons and stuff, but I liked a girl, like, I would be like, she gonna think that's whack Mm -hmm. so i gotta like not draw and like look talk about batman animated series or something you know what i'm saying and and i gotta do stuff that she might like and so oh she likes sports i like basketball so i'm gonna go play basketball so i can like see if she like like that and so i was doing that literally all my life like and i would transform myself and not be me so when did you realize that you were you were basically committing actions to just keep people around? When did you realize that? Oh, recently. Okay. Recently, recently, recently. And and like like a month ago. And or I, I wouldn't even say a month ago. I would say like I would say like two or three years ago. That's when I realized like, man, like why am I doing that shit? Mm-hmm. Like cuz I'm not happy doing mm-hmm. like that, you know. And the people pleasing stuff started with with like after my father passed. And it was hard. And um, I was getting into fights really early and stuff like that, um, just because. And I would I would want to initiate, like I, I wanted to hurt, like that's what I wanted to do. And so my mom was like, you know, and I told her I was like, as a kid, crazy, like you got this ten year old kid walking up to his mom, being like, man, I want to like hurt this person, like like severely. Whoever did that to my dad, I want to I want to do something about it. And my mom was like, well. The, we can't have that shit and so she was like, <laughs> she was like i can't have that shit like um she was like so um she put me in front of a counselor and it was like a black man mm-hmm. that's one of the best things she did for me was put sit me in front of a person that looked like me 
that may not know what I'm going through, but would literally let me talk or not say anything. Mm -hmm. And the more I went to him, I was able to kind of talk a little bit more. I would draw a little bit or something like that. And drawing was always a thing that kind of calmed me down because that was the thing that he congratulated. Your dad? Like, my dad. He, dude, like, I remember when Space Jam came out, like, I would draw that. And he was like, yo, you drew that? I was like, yeah. He was like, you ain't traced that? I'm like, look. I would, I would, I would take the paper and put it next to the coloring book, and my drawing is slightly bigger. I was of like, course. so there's no way I could trace that. And he had this Jaguar, sexy brown Jaguar. And one day, he, you know, he got the manual to the to the uh, to the car and stuff. Mm. He has a picture of the car, and I'm 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 like nine, drawing it, trying to draw it as close as I could. He put it like on his desk. So art for me was like, he saw that. Like, you know, I was really good at basketball, but he was like, yo, this art thing, like I like he would he was smiling about that. Mm. So when he passed, and I think the the hardest part, the hardest part after he passed was it was two, two things. One, it was seeing my mom cry. Like my mom was bawling, dude. Like I had never seen my mom cry like that. And because the way she talks about him, she talks about him like he's alive. Mm. And she has stories of like, you know, right after he the night he he didn't come home, she was sleeping. And she said she had this dream where, you know, uh, he was talking to her by the bedside and he was holding her hand. And she woke up and her hand was like like up in the air, you know. And uh, we had Christmas one time and this is after he passed. And, you know, me and my mom, because my sister's younger. She's two years younger than me. And uh, we bought a Christmas tree, and I was like, man, I wish my dad my dad was here, you know, for, for Christmas. And my sister was like, no, nah, he, he right there. He right there, you know. And my mom was like, like oh, shit. Like, you know, and so <laughs> I'm like, mm, the, like, so it, it, it was when he passed that like watching my mom, like when I when we got the news, it was it was surreal. It was it was like I couldn't believe it. And but ironically like there was some relief because i was like man like he ain't as hard like he's not as hard but i i would still hear him so when i would go play basketball all them drills he had me going do i would still do them and that was my way of talking to him like all right i'm playing ball like i'm doing these different things the second thing that was hard was seeing him in the casket that was hard because i'm a kid you know what i'm saying so like i'm seeing him laying there he's still and i like touch I, I, I touched him stiff you know what I'm saying? And at that point, I was like, yeah, that's it. And that death did something to me. And um, and fast forward, I have a son. And my son looked just like me. And he do all the shit I was doing. Like, <laughs> like lazy, waking up late. It's, uh, a, it's almost like the world is giving you a second chance to say, hey, look, this is you were so critical of your dad as you grew up. Here's a chance for you. And let's see what you do with this. And you know what's special about that? Like uh, I, I had this dinner with Lonnie West uh, and uh, Lonnie West, man, that dude is so dope. He's he's a leading psychologist and he's one of uh, Wilson Smith, the third's friends. And Wilson Smith, the third is my mentor. He's like the the first black shoe designer at nike he'd been working there for like 37 38 years he's ready he's ready to dip uh but they came down to miami and i didn't know lonnie was like a psychologist but he just talking to me and i'm just i'm bearing all bro i'm just like oh yeah you know and he said he said some stuff to me he was like you know true masculinity 
is that you can go and lift 315 pounds. You can go bench press 22, 22, 2, 225 pounds. Stuff. But he was like, also, you can go pet a kitten. That's true masculinity. And I was like, damn, dude, this dude is like popping my brain right now. So we having these conversations and we just, me and him having these one-on-ones and we go to um, Old Havana Club on Cayocho and we like eating food, you know, in this tight space. And I'm like talking about my dad and, and I and I realized like how much sacrifice that he was doing in that conversation. Like I'm like, dude, like oh, I went to private school, private, all black private Catholic school. They decided that, you know, they wanted us to, me and my sister, to know our history, know you black and you're going to know your history mm-hmm. and you're going to go, you're going to be around people that look like you, you know, and after you get out of high school and all that, then you can do all of that, you know, or you can go to a HBCU if you want. But the thing is like, you're going to know who you are growing up. And he decided to do that. Him and my mom decided to do that. They decided to, to sacrifice and do that. And I'm like, pro, I'm, I'm proclaiming this and I'm saying it out loud at this dinner, dude. And I just bust out crying, bro. And right. I got and I I got the churrasco there. I got the white rice. <laughs> yeah. I got the beans, bro. I got the plantains. I'm like, I got tears all in all in my damn plate, dog. And and I'm like, and that's when I realized I was like, he did the best he could with what he had. Yeah. And that's really what parents are really doing. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I thought he was Superman. I thought he didn't do anything wrong. I thought he did everything right. And he was a he was perfect at everything. And that's where like my perfectionism was coming from. And at that dinner, that's when I realized I was like, I'm talking boo-hooing, dog. Like, the, the waitress came over and was like, is the food okay? It's like, I'm like, no, nah, this shit is straight. Like, I'm just, <laughs> it's fire. It's fire. Let me, I'm just crying right now. Yeah. And but what, So what exactly about it was it that, that really touched you? Was it the fact? Because I know before you were saying that he described uh, that, that true masculinity is being able to bench 300 and pet a kitten. Mm. But at the same time, was it because you realized that your dad was only exemplifying one and not the other? Yeah. But what was it that triggered you to, to cry? I think the trigger, the trigger was, I realized like as a man now, like as a man now with a son and like what I have to do to keep the roof over the head, over our heads, like putting food on his on the on the plate when he doing shit that I'm like, yo, why are you doing that, bro? Like, and disciplining him, like I realize he's literally doing what I'm doing. It's just different. And I realized that he was doing the best of what he had and he had intentions on like making me the best that I could be. Like, even though I might not have agreed with it. You know, um, now as as a father, like he was alive now. I'm like, man, you was really whooping my ass when I was like a kid. You know what I mean? But I know he'd be like, man, you know what your ass was? was you, you was lying. Yeah, like, yeah you had know? it coming. Right, you had it. You had the shit coming. You know, and so, um, but I, I, and that's that's when it clicked. And I would and I would have like dreams, dude. Like I had dreams like of him like wearing a Hawaiian shirt with gray hair. I could see him very clearly. Like and he like all in my face. I'm like, yo, back up, bro. Like I'm sleep. You know, and then he's like, yo, I'm so proud of you. Like all these different things like these. This is I can't make this up. Mm-hmm. So I wake up and I tell my mom about this, this dream. And she's like, yo, his birthday is today. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like I'm so so like my relationship with my father was so tight that it's still tight. And like his DNA and his his teaching is still like within me because I'm doing a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm hey, Jaden. 
get your ass up. Like <laughs> <laughs> we we go, we running, bro. Yeah. Like I know you don't like this shit. We doing it. Yeah. You know. Um. And that's part of being a parent. Yeah, dude. Part of being a parent is that struggle of I know you don't want to. I just had this whole <laughs> conversation with my daughter and Zoe this weekend with her cousin. Yep. Zoe still in here? No, Zoe left. She, did, she, did. she was in here earlier. Um, I just had a whole conversation with them as we're walking. We're like, because I woke them up. I said, we're going to the gym. Mm-hmm. I said, and then on the way back, I, we, and I set a timer for like 30 minutes. And every time the bell rings, you go. When the horn sounds, you stop. And it's like 40 seconds, 20 second rest. And I said it for like, it was like 20 minutes, 30 minutes at right. most. Yeah. And by the time we we're done, we're walking home. And I was like, listen, guys, there's going to be a lot of things in your life that you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's not only the things that you don't want to do. The, you still have to give good effort while you're doing those things that you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So I said, what did you rate the workout from today? Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, I guess from a scale of zero to ten, what did you rate that workout? Yeah. I said, oh, three, oh, four. I said, you're right. It was like a three or a four. It was mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. Do you feel a little bit better now? They're like, yeah, actually, I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to go. I'm ready to start the day. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. so their energy was up. So I said, okay, cool. I said, how many things in your life do you think that you're gonna, not gonna feel like doing, but you got to do them anyways? Mm-hmm. I was like, you know how many days I don't feel like going to work? How many days I don't. Nothing. I don't. I don't want to pay mortgage. I don't want to pay tax. I don't want to be an adult. <laughs> right. But there's things that I have to do mm-hmm. because I just have to. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I was just giving the example of it's not the short term. Yeah, short term you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. My body, my mind is telling me, ah, take it easy. Take it easy, man. Chill. Chill. Relax. It's that bed, su- cozy. Um. It's Sunday. What's it's not Sunday, a big deal bro. right now. It's Saturday. It's summer. Chill. Chill Relax. <laughs> but turn that. One more episode won't hurt. Yeah, one more Netflix episode. Right. So I, I, we were going through all that, and I said, that's the easy way. Your, your body, your mind, your soul, they want the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. As a human being, we are lazy. Yep. And we have to fight against that if we want to see ourselves progress. And so I'm telling them this. And I, sometimes I look, look, guys, I know I talk way too much, but I'm going to tell you anyways, because I know in the future, I'm going to be like, look, at least I can say, I, I told, told you, you this shit. <laughs> I told you. I warned you. Yep. And, yep. and I'm just trying to instill those things. And it's not going to happen with one conversation, but I know the more I plant seeds, something's going to grow. Something's going to grow from that. Man. But that, parenting is no joke. It's no joke. Like, I'm feeling it. I need a beer right now. <laughs> <laughs> we going to have to visit this I got uh, ginger beer. This doesn't have no alcohol. I oh my beer. gosh. Dude. Like I, I I feel it. I feel it. And I, I think um, you know, so here's here's what Wait, I Wait, question for mm. you, because you said your dad <coughs> yeah. you mentioned excuse me. Yeah, you good. <coughs> you mentioned your dad used to quote unquote beat your ass. Oh yeah. So how do you feel about corporal punishment? Do you feel that it's necessary to use physical force to discipline a child? You know what's funny about that is that when he was younger and he would he would he would do certain stuff, his mom would be like, you know, Jaden did this thing, man. Like, uh, you need to whoop his ass. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I I don't want to do that. I did it a few times, and that never felt good. And it also felt like I'm I'm not getting through him through to him anyway. Because yes. a- after the whooping's over, like he's like, all right, well, let's back back to the regular shit. Back mm-hmm. to the- Regular uh, scheduled program. Yeah, Let's be yeah. regular back to the shit. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and also too, now that he's like sixteen, like I'm not finna, I'm not finna, like, rough you up and put boxing gloves on you. I don't feel like doing that. Mm-hmm. Like I tell him all the time, bro, I don't want to do any of this discipline stuff. Like none of this I want to do. 
But I realize what makes him hurt, dog. And what really makes him hurt is his little swag, his haircut, his his game, mm-hmm. his um his cell phone and all of that. The FO the what's that? The FOMO, all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's what make you tick, bro. Mm-hmm. That's what make you tick. And so for me, I like the the, the whooping stuff, nah. I, I definitely think like take him to the gym and make him do stuff he hates doing. Oh, I'm gonna make you do that shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, you not doing what you want to? Okay. And it's not only making them, I think it's also showing them the importance of it and the significance of it long term. Like saying, hey, this is preventing diseases. When I see somebody who is, like yesterday we were walking home at the same time, there was a lady that was morbidly obese mm-hmm. that was on a little cart. And so I started describing to her, you know, it, as this lady was gaining weight, the right thing for her to do would have been move. Yep. But now she's at the point that she can't even move. And for her to even come out from that severe obesity, probably diabetes, um, probably needs knee replacement surgery mm-hmm, like she can't even begin to improve her body if she wanted to mm. and so i'm just trying to show her this isn't just about vanity this is about functioning throughout your life so you right. have a high quality of life later on right like and i i'm like i've taken her to nursing homes before i've shown her and i want to show her physical evidence of i'm not doing this just to do it let me explain to you mm. let me give you the rationale behind why i'm trying to like I'm not torturing you with conversations, even yes. though you feel that way. Yes. I'm literally teaching you things that are going to help you down the road in your life. Because yeah. I, at the end of it, it's because I care about you, because yes. I love you. Yeah, because like, I'm trying to teach you. Yeah, I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to teach. And you know, it's funny. Like, I, so I, I got so many revelations in this in this six months. Eric told me straight up. He was like, "Bro, he's like, this is going to be a straight learning learning for you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when your son come down, that he's a like, man, yeah. as a man, it's going straight. It's going to do something." And I was like, I didn't really quite understand what he was saying. And and what I realized is that my son is going to do what I do. Like, he's not going to do what I say. He's going to do what I do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I very transparently do, like, you know, I went was going through a lot in, in like, you know, past past few years and stuff. So for me, it was like I wasn't consistent with my workout, like, like depressed in, in in specific spaces like you know still trying to create work like artwork and stuff and making artwork that's only that's my only escape type of thing um and he would do what i'm doing so i'm like man like this dude's irking me like why why are you like slow in these things but then i'm i'm moving slow mm-hmm. you know and then and I, I i i like had to look at myself and be like yo i'm like he's doing what i'm doing so i was like Okay. So you talked about two things. Right now you're talking about modeling behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. How your son is just going to emulate you as yeah. a human. Yeah. And a little while ago you mentioned how you recognize things that make him tick, like FOMO, his haircut, the swag, mm-hmm. um, and the video games. Yeah. So how do, how do you use those things instead of corporal punishment? Oh, man. I got a great story for that. <laughs> so basically, so when he first came down, you know, be, because when he first came down, like, I I didn't really have that much structure. Like, because I was trying to give him space to to be. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Let me let me see what you do with the freedom that I give you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? All you got to do, <clears throat> all you got to do is clean your room. All you got to do is, you know, clean your bathroom and keep the damn toilet seat down. You know what I'm saying? Um... And, you know, we'll see what you... Th- oh, my God, dude. Like, that shit drives me up a wall. It drives me up a wall, dude. Uh, but, um, so when he came down, and because of that, then I'm I'm working. And so when I'm working, like, I'm not making time for him, especially because I wasn't waking up earlier. Like, I'm waking up at, like, like 8 or, like, 8.30 or something like that. 
so that like he's already at school all right cool so like by the time he comes home i'm still working so um so because of that he loose cannon bro he loose cannon. he in miami he a miami senior mm-hmm. he already like the girls bro like the girls is just different here i'm like yeah <laughs> dog, you in miami bro like it's different here you know, this ain't St. Louis, G, you know? So I was like, but you got to you gotta keep your head on a swivel. You got to be on point, you know? I was like, they not going to talk to no dude that's stupid, you know? Um, and so um, so with that, he started, like, lying about homework. And I'm asking him every day, like, yo, what's, what's your homework looking like? Oh, man, I ain't got no homework. And then he's like, then, then he lied about how he got home from school because he's supposed to take the bus you ain't supposed to miss the bus bro like you supposed to bring your ass home or if you got baseball i'll come pick you up so he lied about how he got home we knew the truth sat him down and he got this shit here he does that i hate and it's, 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 it's he do it all the time dog and i told him like yo like that shit is out of here it's this this that shit I'm like, all right and he, he, he definitely get that shit from me because i do it uh <laughs> You get what I'm saying? Like, I, I do it, so I'm like, damn, I got to, like, stop. Like, the shit that I don't want him to do, I got to stop it first. Of course. So, and that's that's the revelation. So, um, so we sit him down. We talking to him, and he's like, we we, we catch him in a lot, so he's not, he, he not taking accountability, which I know what that's like because I, I know what it's like not to take accountability and be defensive at the beginning. And he just did that, like, too many times. And I was like, yo. I said, the next time you do that, dog. I'm the, scared. Yeah. Like, I straight, I said it straight like that. I said, the next time you do that, like, it's an inkling of it, dog. You do you do that one more time. I'm cutting your hair, dog. I'm cutting your hair with, with my clippers, dog. I'm talking beard clippers, dog. Uh-huh. I ain't talking about, like, damn, Andis, like, get you a fade. I'm talking, like, I'm about to clean my beard up before I go out or something. And he was like, he's like, all right. And he he didn't think I was gonna do it. He said it later. He's like, I didn't think he was gonna do that shit. I was like, I didn't think I was gonna do it either. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, but, but I said, but, but, but I knew that whatever I say I'm gonna do, I gotta do it. And so he did that shit one last time, and I was like, get up, get the stool, and go in the bathroom, dog. I got the clippers, and I cut that shit slow, dog. <laughs> Slow. I was cutting it slow. Like, I, like, 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 not bald though. Like, I had the the guard, and I was just doing it like tick, tick. Oh, so you were bringing it down slowly, slow, dog. So like a number three, like number, number three, two. Yeah, dude, I was doing like five. Oh, and then wow. like three, and then like two, and then I was like, all right, long, long as you can still brush that shit, you know what I'm saying? No fade. Nothing. You know what I'm saying? That shit just straight. You this a this jarhead shit, and that's that, and that made me think of like my son or my yeah, dad. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Cause my dad did that shit like zzz, like cut my shit off, and so and I was like, yeah, this jarhead shit. And I and I called that yo, you know, right now, dog, you in the Mojo Betterment camp. That's what you in <laughs> right the now. Mojo Betterment. <laughs> you in the Mojo Betterment camp, dog. And so and I was like, when you done with that, sweep up that lion ass hair and throw that shit away. Like that, it's over. Over, done. And then, then I, I like, okay, and you know what else? I'm taking all that swag away. You got two pair, you got two pair of jeans, dog, shirt, and two hoodies, and you got one pair of shoes, dog. All that other shit, you're done. You're done, dog. Cause they're all luxuries, he, bro. He went to school. He said his boys was clowning him for like a <laughs> week and a half. It was like, damn, what did you do? <laughs> and he and and he, he still wasn't taking accountability. He was like, man, I don't know, man. My dad, he just, you know. 
like like it was my grades and i was like dude it wasn't your motherfucking grades bro yeah. like it was you was lying about this the whole time yeah. and then i gotta get the grunt and your mom talking about some you supposed to talk to these teachers and get a head start i'm like this is his responsibility yeah. school is his responsibility it's not my responsibility to be behind him now granted i probably should hit up the teachers be like yo hey he's saying he got no homework where the fucking homework at like well, you know I, what I, mean? I can already see that you are you know how you said that your grandfather yeah. used to beat your dad and then your dad made improvements and he he did what he could mm -hmm. and so now i could see already that you're <laughs> you got some parts of your dad oh, that you're still yes. using. actually i gotta and i don't know how we could get this so the audience could see it but i want i don't even know i, don't, I might get in trouble for this but it's okay so my daughter this weekend hadn't done her bed. Mm. And this has been a struggle for a while. Cleaning up, helping out around the house, uh -huh. taking out the basics, right? Basics. Yes. So we had a great day. Yeah. Yeah, a great day the whole day, right? Yeah. yeah. But I realized that my daughter hadn't cleaned up. She was supposed to, before she left, I was leaving. Mm -hmm. uh, she left with, with her, with Rachel. Uh, with my girlfriend's sister. Mm -hmm. And I told her, just make sure you clean up around the house before you go. You know, that's mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. Not, nothing special. Mm -hmm. I get back. She did nothing. Mm. <laughs> so this has been an ongoing conversation. Ongoing. Yep. So I think I tapped into into your dad's <laughs> techniques. <laughs> yes. I didn't beat her. I didn't get mad. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I've never hit my daughter. Mm -hmm. Good shit. Um, Good shit. And, but I do use psychology. And at this point, I said, you know what? I'm not going to get frustrated. I'm tired of talking to her. I'm going to treat her well. But when I, and when you're in the army, in boot camp specifically, you got to do your bed perfect. Mm -hmm. Your bed fold has to be six inches. Do you know a, a dollar bill is six inches? That's how wow. we used to measure. You measure all the way across. Wow. Exactly. Everything has to be tight. Yeah. And I'm not asking her for that perfection. Mm -mm. But Just what they it. would do when you would screw up is when you get back to the barracks, Fuck it up. everything was thrown. <laughs> yes. Everything was thrown everywhere. Oh, yes. So my, my boy. I'm taking that. Look at this. Oh. And and I'm just like, hey, this is what happens. Look at it. She's like, no. She hiding in the So she laid there for a while. And I said, listen, Eva, I'm not upset with you at all. Mm. Um, I just have expectations. Oof. I've tried talking. Mm. It hasn't worked up to this point. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to upset. I'm not breaking your stuff, but it might be a little bit more disorganized when you get home. And it's going to be your responsibility to still pick it up. Mm. Damn, that's jacked. Mo, for the rest of the weekend, every time I would walk in a room, pristine. Woo! She oh. woke up in the morning. She did the bed. And and it wasn't like I just did that and I didn't talk to her about it. Afterwards, I was, so what were you thinking? She's like, I thought you were crazy. <laughs> I said, maybe a little bit. Um, but I've tried all these different techniques mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be angry at you. And mm -hmm. you're not going to mess up my day mm -hmm. because of your inaction or inactivity or lack of discipline. Mm -hmm. But we're going to find a way where you're going to find discipline. Yeah. I don't know what I need to do. But this is just another intervention that I'm going to try and see if it works. Let's this, just try. Yeah, let's just try. This, let's just try just like that you shit. Should, yeah, like cut his hair. Let's just try it. Let's just try it. Let's try it. Dude, you, like, so, and, and I, I, don't, I look. Don't worry, Eva. I'm not going to shave your head. No, no, he's not, he not going to do that. Don't My son, I'm going to shave your head. Don't try me. Right. <laughs> I'm going to shave your fucking head. Uh, but he was like, so, I'm talking like 
the other side, his his mom dad his mom his mom's side was like, Why why you cut his hair and his mental health and I was like it's fucking hair. It'll grow back. It's hair. I was like, but are you talking to him about why he got his hair cut though? Like and all of this stuff, because at the first day was like, you know, he cutting up out there with you in Miami. He do I'm like, but guess what? He told me he was doing all this with y'all before that. And that, you know, he's used to his grades like slipping and picking them up. Like so Mojo, he, I didn't know where you were gonna come on here. We we're gonna have a therapy session on parenting. I thought we were gonna talk about artwork, but I guess I just, it, <laughs> parenting is heavy, right? Pa- pa- parenting it has a lot to do with the art because to be honest, like as an artist, like to to me, my life is in the art. Like so, my son right now, like, is is in my art. Like so, I every moment that happens before I make a piece of art, that's in it. This all this whole conversation, my son needing extra practice for baseball I, I, that is up to him to do. I see your son right here. There he is. His dad lost a damn tooth, and he <laughs> he hiding his hair because his hair got cut. You know, so it's like. But the, I, what I realized is like, like I want to say like a month ago, and I was like, you know what? Okay, all right. And I was like, I gotta like step up in in, in many different ways, mm-hmm. and I was like, at this point, he gonna get in line with me. Like I'm not allowing him to do the shit he wants to do, because the thing is like, he he's been he's been uh, he's the only child. And he's isolated. And when he's with his friends, it's cool. But then he's used to being by himself. And I'm and I know that's probably part of his personality too. Like cause I, I learned that about him. But the thing is, is that, you know, and I, I and at first I feel like maybe I'm forcing him to do something that he doesn't want to do, but at the same time, like as a parent, I feel like I need to do that though. Like I need to make you do certain things that you probably don't want to do, but I know it's better I know it's good for you. And and one of those things is a gym because when I started taking him to the gym, oh, I got stories about that. You know, um, he hates running, so that's another thing I learned. Oh, if you like, you hate running. Damn, don't tell me the shit you hate, especially <laughs> when you do the shit you're not supposed to do. Come on, that's bro. your dad right there. That's my dad, yeah, that's dog. Dad, like, yeah. like I ain't, I don't have to whoop you, dog. You just gotta run with me at four thirty in the morning. Like when you, I know you want to stay in that bed. Get your ass up, dog. Get up, bro. And he hated. He, you can, I can hear him. And so he's trying to be pissed while he's running, but he's losing wind. So I'm like, that's up to you. We, you I'm not angry, stopping, bro. Yeah. You like, got to relax. You got to relax, bro. Like, and talk, uh, by, by, the, by the way, think about what you're grateful for. Your ass is able to run. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you're here with your dad, mm-hmm. you know? And I explained to him, I was like, you know, this is father-son time. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is time, un- like, unadulterated, like, like, time that you just said that you wanted. I want more time. Here it is. Here it is, bro. Like, and guess what? Like, you think you finna be here playing games and slacking off at school? You think that it's gonna be easier with me, bro? And I told him straight up, and I told his mom this straight up. I was like, here, I'm building a man. I'm building a man, bro. I th- I think it's cool how intentional we've become with parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, because I hear you. I hear how you're describing your father, right? Mm-hmm. And your father was honestly more involved than my dad was mm-hmm. um, because my, my dad was, a, he, well, he still is. He's a provider, but he's also emotionally disconnected. Also has to do with his childhood, his upbringing, mm-hmm. his transitioning from Cuba to, to Miami. I can't imagine what his life has been like when I look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
I think that the fact that we take our time, like I tell my daughter all the time, Eva, I don't miss your soccer games. Like I'm there, I'm present. Eva, I, I want to be part of your life. Eva, I want to teach you and instill values in you because I didn't have these heart-to-hearts with my dad. Mm-hmm. So my dad was actually um, at the age of, I think, seven. This is a conversation I've, I've I can't even have this conversation with him. I just know mm-hmm. about his life. Mm-hmm. At seven, for whatever reasons, his mom left my grandfather and and his brother mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. So it was just the dad and two kids. Mm-hmm. And then my grandfather ended up remarrying mm-hmm. to with a woman who actually, I always thought she was my grandmother until mm-hmm. I was like 17 when I realized, oh, no wonder half my... All of my uncles from this side of the family are actually dark skinned. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> like that one. I was like, how come my dad and his brother Bowie are the same height? They look the same, but all the rest of the brothers are like 6'3. How come I got <laughs> screwed genetically? And they dunking on people? <laughs> yeah. I got screwed genetically, right? I'm like, <laughs> my cousins are all jacked and built. What the hell's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. Um, so I was like in denial, but it's just cool. What, what's, what's cool is that. We've seen the way our fathers parent, and we look to make improvements on mm-hmm. it. Because my dad was, look, my dad is solid in terms of a human being. Mm-hmm. Like, if you need something, and he knows that you know me, he's going to take care of you. Mm. Like, 100%. That's dope. He's just going to look dope. out for you. Mm-hmm. You show up at the tire shop, you don't have money to pay for the tires. Hey, I'm Adrian's friend, blah, blah, blah. He's, oh, you have a flat tire, you don't have money, it's cool, I'll take care of you. Wow. And I've seen him do that my whole life, mm-hmm. whether it was just acts of kindness for no reason or looking out for people. My dad has never been a, a proclaimed Christian, but as I learned what a Christian was, my dad was the example that was like, this guy's living. He's doing it. He's living it. Mm-hmm. His actions show me what love is, what compassion is, what kindness mm-hmm. is, but he never talked about it. Mm-hmm. So I was always just looking and modeling his behaviors, but now, again, we never had that one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And then he was always working, so he was never present at my baseball games, but I still knew I had his love. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm listening to you, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about myself in the same breath. And it's like, we are the next version of our parents. Mm-hmm. Whereas they were beaten. My dad was beaten, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But then he got rid of that part. My dad never hit me. Mm-hmm. And so then my dad, but what was my dad missing? The conversation, the compassion, mm-hmm. the teaching, and then the being present physically, mm-hmm. right? So he showed me hard work and he showed me a lot of things through example. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, okay. Now I have to upgrade. And I, this is my version of, of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I tell my daughter all the time, I'm like, Eva, I'm, I'm not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm going to screw up. Mm-hmm. But take the behaviors that you want and leave behind the ones you don't want. Exactly. You know? Yep. And so I'm curious to see what kind of a parent is she going to be as she gets Right. Because so she curious. definitely going to do that bad thing. <laughs> She's 100% going to do that. You know? <clears throat> and, and that's the thing, dude. Like, as a as a... As a parent, um, you know, I think a lot about, like you said, like my father and stuff. And I also think about, like, the things that I didn't have because he, he, there was no heart-to-heart there. Like, no heart-to-heart. No no talking about how you feel. No, um, you know, that's weak, dog. Crying is weak, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, like, I'm talking, like, he's teaching me how to ride my bike and I'm falling off and I'm crying. Stop all that crying. Get back on that shit. Like, get boys, back don't, on that. boys don't cry. Boys don't Men cry. don't cry. Men yeah. don't cry. Yeah. I'm trying to play with my sister, and, and I got that's when like the Power Ranger t- dolls and the GI Joes, and she had the Barbies, and and we like playing together. If I had that, if I had a Barbie in my hand, bro, <laughs> he whooped my ass with that Barbie. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but or, but the thing, but the thing that 
he did though. He did not like when I fought with my sister. He did not like when I disrespected my elders. He did. I mean, I watched him like when it came to respect, he did. It was non-negotiable. Even police officers. Dog. This St. Louis. St. Louis is like segregated. Like it is openly segregated. So he driving this this Jaguar. And I remember like, yo, like my dad, like he just doing like he always said, like, yo, dad, where are you going? I'm about to go see a man about a horse. And so he's like, you want to go? Like, all right. So I'm trying to look like him. We we driving, driving in the car. He gets pulled over. And the cop asked him all this question. Where are you going? Where are you headed? Like, uh, this your car. What you do? Like things like that. And my dad didn't give a damn. He was like, black man can't have his car. He's like this. Like, I'm an insurance person. I do insurance. Mm-hmm. He was like. And they they thinking he's a drug dealer because he's doing this, and he, and they like get out the car. He's like, I ain't getting out the car. Like I'm 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 seeing him talk his shit, dog, and getting locked up. Like and my mom like, oh Tony, what are you doing now? Like he like like I just ain't having it, you know. And so as I grew up and as I continue as like a parent, and I see my son, and I think about life, and I think about what I'm trying to teach him, is that. I'm having them talks with him because I'm like, dude, this is important. Like he said, I'm sure Eva says this too. He's like, man, you always repeat yourself. Like you, you repeat yourself. I'm like, yeah, because your ass is not doing what I asked you to do, <laughs> dog. Like, you know, I just asked you to do this and, you, and I, I'm having to repeat myself. Yeah. And so that's why I like, I really like that idea. Um, I just got tired of talking, man. You know? And so a, as I, um, and, and, I kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of... (laughs) It's kind of like a prank that you play on your friends. Like my friend Alex was telling me that he used to go... One of his friends used to come over his house all the time. And Alex would go like to the kitchen. And his friend would just mess up his room for no reason. Then go just lay down on the couch like nothing was going on. (laughs) And then Alex would walk in his room and just be pissed off. I kind of felt like that. Like it was... Like it was a... Just a prank. But also a prank with some meaning behind it to say... Like I'm not upset about this or this scenario, mm-hmm. but I, I I kind of don't know how to get this message through to you anymore, and I'm gonna do whatever I can to make sure you hear me, and I don't have to be aggressive, angry, irritable, mm-hmm. violent, mm-hmm. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So you've said a couple of things, and, and I'll, I'll jump to something else after this because we've been you know we've been talking about parenting for like an hour now. Apparently <laughs> yes. we need to go to we need to start a men's group here. <laughs> yes, to talk about just and fathers. Parents. Yeah, <laughs> fathers. <laughs> but um, I I think, and I'm not going to compare raising a child to to uh, training a dog, but mm. Polo and I were talking about conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. And how we are all based a lot of our actions are based on a reward system mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and so as you condition a dog you can train a dog but first in order to train him appropriately you have to look at your own behaviors so they the dog is aware of what you're asking them for mm-hmm. and they will respond to you mm-hmm. so part of a dog training is you disciplining yourself mm-hmm. and being self-aware of oh wait he's my dog is not interpreting the correct actions and so it's my fault. The dog isn't dumb. Mm-hmm. I got to change something about what I'm doing yes. so that the mm-hmm. dog can continue to, to, to perform the behaviors that I want. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that's an oversimplification of raising a child. But in many instances, it still holds true. Yeah. I have to look at myself. I have to say, okay, what are my child's reward systems? What do they value? Mm-hmm. 
and I have to use that as, hey, like this is good, this is bad. Right. I cannot continue to award you or reward you with the things that you love when you're doing things that aren't going to help you, right. when you're engaging in actions that are going to have negative consequences down the road. So mm -hmm. I need to make sure I reward, like when your dad saw you drawing and he found value in it, mm -hmm. and he said, wow. Let me put this up. I'm gonna put that up. So now you're. What did that make you feel? That made me be like, I'm gonna draw more stuff. So you lit up. Mm -hmm. It I lights lit up. you up. It lights mm -hmm. a fire in your heart. It stimulates your mind, and mm -hmm. you want to engage in that activity more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what parents need to do. Yep. They need to be in tune with their child's reward system and really say, Oh, you really value this. Mm -hmm. This is a reward for you. Therefore, when you're not doing what you should be doing what's expected of you mm -hmm. then maybe these rewards now these rewards need to be taken mm -hmm. and they will be reinstated once you do what you're supposed to do mm -hmm. the problem is right now that so many people are rewarding their kids no matter what right because mm -hmm. it takes a lot of effort to sit down with that child and have that conversation and instill those values that takes effort on the part of the parent yeah mm -hmm. right and it, it requires us looking in the mirror and say well what are we not doing right right like why um why are they not interpreting this in the manner in which i am expressing it <laughs> damn is my communication off like is i is the way i'm uh, the way i'm saying it wrong like it, and like you said like you do have to look at yourself and i think um that that's the biggest thing that i realized and it was also being honest with him like when i talk to him i am honest like i tell him straight up i'm like jay and i was like i said do you do you think i'm you think i'm gonna steer you wrong dude if i say like this food is really good dude like trust me it's gonna be good yeah i was like but if i tell you like dude i don't think i would do that do you think i'm telling you to not do that because i'm gonna do it but i'm telling you not to do it mm -hmm. he'll be like no and he and he knows he'll say he'll say to you right now Jaden, why am I telling you this stuff? He's like, because you went through this stuff already so that I don't have to. And I was like, Jaden, so if I'm telling you this, you like, I'm I'm only here to help you. I'm only I, like my job is to literally make sure you are straight and that when you leave this house out of these four walls that you can navigate the world. So that when you come back, cause I, I, I can't do shit when you when you're out the house. <laughs> I can't do anything. Yeah. Like, but when you come back in the house, I, I got complete control over that. So like everything I'm telling you in the house, like to clean up after yourself, make your bed. Like he makes his bed every morning. I'm like, do not leave this house without making your bed. Mm -hmm. Do not leave this house by taking a shower. Do not leave this house without cleaning this bathroom. Mm -hmm. Like all of these things, you can't leave the house with that. If mm -hmm. you don't do that, like I'm waking your ass up. Mm -hmm. Like you gotta, that's what you gotta do. You know that takes effort. That takes effort, and I know he'd be like, <sighs> folding that shit. So I think the secret is learning to. We know that that effort is going to have to be made, and I'm 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 telling you this because I'm figuring it out now. Yeah. <laughs> is how do we have these conversations, but without us becoming irritable, angry, violent, etc. Right. So how do we maintain patience but still get that message across so that it's not affecting us, so that we're not so frustrated? You know what, man? So I'm figuring it out. Yeah, and and I had a moment because I'm a lecturer. Like, and I get that from my dad. Mm -hmm. He he would lecture me. And then if I didn't say it word for word back to him, I'm running it back. I'm running it back. I'm sitting in front of him for two, three hours, and he's talking about the same thing over and over and over again. But he'll say, you know the consequences. So if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I'm in that ass. <laughs> so, that, like, you, you know I'm in that ass. Yeah. 
with Jaden, so Jaden had this thing that happened at school that was crazy. And every time like he comes to talk to me, when he when he's talking to me about something, um that's crazy and he has like a, a specific reaction to it, it's like I'm immediately want to go into lecture mode. And I'm like, but I know that that like he'll if I saw a lecture and he go like and he's out. You're losing him. Yeah, I, yeah I he's not him. even there. I lost him. I lost him. So I was like, you know, let me just try this one thing. Let me try something different. I just let him tell on himself. I just let him talk. Yo, like, cause me, me and you talked about that last time he came to the crib, and I was like, I was like, damn, that's good. I was like, I need to stop talking, cause he's, I need to let him talk. Mm-hmm. So he starts talking, and he's just saying, I'm like, well, how you feel about that? And I'm, I'm holding it in. I'm holding it in like, dog, this dude doing dumbass shit. <laughs> and I was like, why are you doing that? And so, and he just keep talking and talking, and I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, well, what do you think about that? Like, how do you feel? Like, what, what do you, what, what do you think about the response for that? You know. And I'm just asking them questions. And one of the things is like, and I'll I do a brief story. It's like baseball. So I'm going to go back to baseball. Because remember how you said you go to all your all eight games and mm-hmm. stuff? So Jaden, I'm going to be honest, man. Like, yes. Yeah, them, them boys is them boys is good. Yeah, they can play. They for real. Uh-huh. And he gets on the team. He talking all that shit. Y'all, yeah, I play baseball on my field. You know what I mean? I do. I'm like, all right. I say, all right, dude. I'm like, dog, you in Miami, dog. These, these boys, they, they, they playing baseball. They play soccer. They... Yo, they real, dog. They get out here. Time out. Have you ever... You've been to the Dominican Republic or, or... No, not yet. All right. Well, these Dominican Republic, Cuba, right? And these these islands that put out a lot of baseball players. These boys, they play with a bottle cap mm. and a broomstick. So... They hitting it. that little ass shit? So imagine. And they're throwing it like a little frisbee. And I'm saying, like, the distance for pitchers... They've learned to throw a little bottle cap like a frisbee, and then my boy is hitting home runs with a broomstick to to a, a snapple cap. Wow! Right. So imagine the hand-eye coordination that you develop, and now you got a baseball being thrown at you. That's like a watermelon, bro. So they're smacking it. And, and on top of that, I'm like, bro, these kids are practicing right after practice, and you getting straight home, getting on the game, and you expecting to start dude he gets out there i'm i'm putting you on blast jay it, it, it just it is what it is you know i'm honest bro because if i'm if i'm asked I, I i take it i take i take it i take it on the chin and it's all right jade and i just i'm gonna put out a video of my daughter's room flipped upside down and her <laughs> falling to the ground so it's okay. i got pictures of your hair on the floor welcome G. to parenthood in 2022 people right. understand it we at we on we on that ass so he <laughs> that's what she said yeah <laughs> dog <laughs> He, he, I'm talking, it was bad. He, he, uh, center field, you, you're, you're the quarterback of the, the outfield. outfield. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you, nothing's supposed to get past you. Yeah. That's your job. That's where he was at. Center field's rough. You cover the most ground on the baseball field. So they know he's fast, but it's a lot. You need to be able to jump when that ball's hit. You think he was jumping, bro? No, he doesn't have the reaction time. He hasn't been playing baseball his whole life. You gotta look he at running spin. forward of before running backwards. I yeah. said, Jaden, you gotta run backwards. That's just fundamental, bro. I'm like, and you bet not do that. Oh, he do that. Dude, the ball go behind. We practicing. He dropping the ball. He I'm like, Jaden, they fucking just scored because you're doing this. I'm like, like, I'm mad. You should be mad. Your team is gonna be really mad, bro. Center field stuff. Dog, he get out there, he dropping pot flies. And then I'm I'm at the game. It's hot. 
it's hot at the game. Dog. I got my lawn chair. I'm out there. Got the babies, the dogs, and all that. And I'm just watching him just like be bad. And I'm like, I'm trying to like keep it in, dog. I'm like, Jaden, like, uh-huh. like, what are you doing? Like, hustle, dog. He drop, he dropping the pop flies. And then he look at his teammates like, like, what, what, what? I'm like, yeah, dude. Like, dude, he gets a bat. He's standing his ass there. Huge. Huge. And he's just standing watching it. I'm like, swing the fucking bat. Like, swing the bat. Dude, baseball is a hard sport I, for him to pick up. I, this, I told him, this I said, Jaden, this shit is not, you going to pick this up, bro. Like, these boys play every day, and you got one of your homies that you are homies with that go practice all the time. He, well, he doesn't want to. He this. doesn't want to practice. I said, Jaden. I said, and you got you got to pay for that though. Yeah. And I was like, Jaden. I was like, I'll tell you right now. And so, so as the games go on, he's not playing. So I'm going to the game, and he's not getting picked. So he he come to me like he like he mad and he's stewing. She like, man, like, man, I ain't even getting to play. I'm like, Jaden. <laughs> like you dropping pop flies. Like, his life, bro. Like, like. Would you would you pick you and put you in the game? Mm-hmm. He was like, no. I said, like, all right. So that, that's your answer, doc. I'm like, if you want to get better, you you, you want to be a chili, you want to be a clown and getting getting struck out. You want you want to do that? Then keep doing the shit you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want if you actually want to play, then you're gonna have to invest in more practice time. Yeah, that's I'm all like, it comes down to. This ain't this ain't TikTok, bro. Like, you can't look at a video or on YouTube and think, I got it. I download it. This ain't the Matrix. Like, you can look at a video on the Matrix and be like, oh, shit, karate. Um, now, <laughs> I now, got it. Now, I got the shit now. Yeah. Nah, bro. Like, you got to go. That's and, funny. I, I mean, I, I went through some of the same things with, with Eva as well, yo. where she was thinking on the soccer team. She had been out of soccer for, like, three years, and she thought all of a sudden she was going to be, like, messy or something. Right. You're going like, to be fucking cooking people, uh, no. doing dribble moves, and no. So then I would tell her, hey, let's go to the field and practice. Let's go to the field and practice. Let's go to, and she would, no, 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 no. So then the game time comes, and then she would get, let's say she would get benched for a little while. I said, oh, why did they bench me? I said, you don't, this is welcome to life. Welcome. You don't, you don't, if you don't put in the work, you're going to get pushed aside. Yep. If and you don't shine, get ready because you ain't gonna play. I, I told it. him straight up. I said, "Look, Jaden, I'm like, and and he knows I'm gonna be honest. Like, if he does something great, I am applauding Same. him. Same. If you do something wrong, bro, I'm I'm, dude, come on. Like, I'm not gonna bullshit you here, dude. I he got to a point where he wasn't playing the games. I was dropping him off. I was like, I'll come pick you up when the shit's over. <laughs> straight up, I was like, I said, Jaden, you don't you don't play. Yeah, I don't want to watch. I'm, I don't want to, like, I mean, I, I support the school and things like that, but I'm like, bro, like. I want to see you play. I want to see you play. And right now you're not playing, and yeah. you're not putting in the work to. Does he want to play that sport? Does he still, does he really want to play baseball? That's the question. So I, 100%, A, I walked to him, like, because he was complaining about the baseball. Man, hold on, like the coach, and, you know, he don't even know my name, and he, he mispronounced my name. I'm like, yo, Jay, like, I mean. You dropping pop flies, bro. Like you don't swing the bat, so I probably won't remember your name either. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, so the only way you can get out of this is like you gotta, you gotta put in some work, G. Like it's just real. But like, does he, does he want to try a different sport or he wants to stick with baseball? So I asked him. I asked him straight up. I said, I, I told him straight up. I was like, look, Jay, if you don't want to play baseball, you ain't got, you don't have to. I'm like, you decided to play, so you definitely gonna finish the season. Of course. Like that's just what it is. I was like, if you don't want to play, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. You 100% don't have to. But I said, if you don't play a sport, then you definitely working out with me. <laughs> I was like, and that's every day. Like, that's every day shit. 
And I was like, if you do that, um, then you can do the other stuff. Like I know, you, I know you like Twitch and and all that. Cause that's something he literally puts his time into. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to tell him to do that. He does it on his own. Cool. And he was pissed in the car one time, and he was so mad. Like man, this dude don't even know my name and all this. And I was like, well, like you don't have to play no more then. Mm-hmm. But then he comes to me later. He's like, man, yeah, I think I'm gonna pick up baseball again. I was like, what? What made you change your mind? He was like, you know, man, my boys playing stuff. I said, look. Said, look, if you if you want to play because your friend's playing, you're gonna be a cheerleader, mm-hmm. straight up. Like I'm, I'm just gonna keep it a buck with you. If you if you want to be a cheerleader and you want to root your boys on to play, and be on the team that way and have free uniform and go to games and get little free hot dogs and little chips and water shit like that, then then keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you really want to play, if you really want to push yourself, see, and that's something I learned with him in the gym is that I learned a lot about him in the gym. And I used to do this too. It's like I quit when it got hard. Mm. So if I'm benching or something like that and it's like getting tight, I'm like, oh shit, I need to put that shit back on there. That's when I in my mind say, No, I need to do two, three more. Like at that point. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Jaden, like you quit every time shit get hard. Cause I've done that. Like I said at the very beginning of this podcast, like my like when you know, me and his mom wasn't getting getting along and stuff like that. I'm like, well, she's not letting me see him. I gotta just work with what I got. You know, and then I and when I developed that over time to be like, nah, dude, I'm not taking no for this. I I make my body do what I want it to do. I like when we do them boot camps and I'm hurting. Like I have to tell myself this shit is easy because if I don't do that shit, it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh I got that. I'm gonna do that. And so I told him I was like, this is the only way. Like there is no shortcut to this. If it was a shortcut, I would have found it. Like I would have found it and I would have shared it with you. But because there's no shortcut, the only shortcut is doing it a little bit every day. That's the only shortcut. And when he started seeing like I wasn't coming to them games, and I don't I don't even know if he knows. He probably didn't notice enough. I'm like, yo, John, I'm not going that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, no, like, but maybe that's hard. But at the same time, like that's life too. Because it's like, you know, if 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 you're not putting in the work, you ain't putting in the work, dog. And I was like, and at this point as a man, like, the boys are harder to break. Like they hard to break because they don't want to they don't want to do the work. They just want the the instant gratification of like what what everybody else is that has been doing work and hella work is doing. That's why Steph Curry is so like hard for kids right now because they like I want to shoot from the from the from the logo. He's he shoots three thousand shots a day every day. Are you doing that? Like attempts, dog. And he does it every day. So it's it's mesmerizing to watch him at a game shoot free throw or uh like yeah, free all the way I've seen all it. the way to the thing and come back and just do this every day. Dude, he's he shoots his entire he's been shooting his entire life. Kobe Bryant shot a thousand shots so much that he had to retire because his shoulder was so done that if he played one more year, he couldn't hold his kids, bro. Like, he couldn't grab groceries. So he had to make a decision. Well, yeah, dude, my family is more important than a jump shot now. Like, so if you get this surgery, it's over. So, like, that's the work. And I want my son to understand this. Like, and I understood it as an artist. Like, I put time into that. Like I put a lot of time into drawing so much that like it's in the it's in my nature like it's in my DNA like when I see an arm I know how to draw all of the muscles I know the names like 
I know how to turn it. I know how to do all these things. So if I'm doing a mural and I've been drawing from life all this time, like I know that if I'm going to scale it up, I know exactly how to scale it up. I think what you're getting at is just instilling like long-term vision in your kids. Long-term. Right? Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to get struck by lightning and you're going to all of a sudden have a talent. I remember growing up feeling like something good was just going to happen to me. Yeah. Like something... Like I was gonna get rich and I didn't know how. Like, but it was it was just gonna happen. Yeah. And yeah. then I realized like, no, you have to put in work, you have to sacrifice and you have to risk. So actually I was gonna ask, so I wanna jump. I know we've been talking to, about parenting, so apparently both of us need to go to the therapy for parenting. <laughs> but uh actually I was gonna ask you about you mentioned you had worked at UPS for three years. Oh man. And then you jumped and became a full-time artist. Is no. It, no? That, so what was the trend? <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your transition to becoming a full-time artist because I feel that there's a lot of people who have talent, have skills, um, and they have something they're passionate about, but they kind of stay stuck in their 9 to 5. Mm. So how did you make that transition from a 9 to 5, um, hustling, moving boxes, to then becoming a full-time artist where you're painting murals and being invited to guest speak, etc.? Okay, man. Um, so I started, so when my son was born, uh, I was 19. My mom was like, all right, so if you're not going to school, you got work. And the only job I could get uh, was um, loading boxes at a hot-ass trailer uh, at 10 o'clock at night and finishing at 3 in the morning. Hated that job, dude. Like, I hated that job so much that I called off all the time. And because you're in a union, like, it, like you have to literally, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of thing morbid. Think of the most morbid thing you could do, and they still will keep you, like, keep you employed, like, because of like how strong the union is, right? Um, so I remember one time working, and it was this older guy, and he was like, he he was doing what's called pickoff. So a pickoff is a person that. Take, see the boxes they see the the zip code and then they like they move it down these different shoots for you to load and like you had to have priority or oh, i'm sorry seniority in order to get this type of job so that's the easy job there's a fan up there blowing on you you know what i mean you can kind of sit back and wait on the packages come but when that shit come down that shoot it's up to you to put like load the, the trailer up and so he he came to me one day during a break which you only had 15 minute break dog you had enough time to pee, get a bag of chips, drink that, and listen to your manager talk about numbers and then go back to working. And he was like, I've been working here since this place started. And he was like, you don't want to get stuck in this. And he was like, um, so whatever you do, don't be here long. He didn't have to tell me that. <laughs> he 100% did not have to tell me that. And every day, and I, and every day I went to work, I hated it. And also, um, I remembered like how much work and how good I was at school. And I remember like, you know, I had like pretty, like really good grades. I was on a roll kid, you know, like I, you know, I did what I needed to do. And I remembered that every time I went to class, uh, went to UPS and I was like, this ain't for me. Like this, this can't be it. So, uh, unfortunately while I was working there, like I had hurt my knee because I like try to at the end of the night, they take the big trailer and take it away from the uh, like this little like the little um, like gateway or whatever. 
and I didn't see it. And so I'm trying to throw a package up and my leg like went straight through that mug, hurt my knee so bad. I probably hurt my um, ACL or something like that or, or whatever, but I just limped it off. And I, di- I didn't even want to like tell anybody I hurt myself because I knew it was going to be a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I limped and I had like, I'm talking the side of my knee felt like a baseball. Their knee always still pops now to this day. Um, and I just remember that I was like, man, like I was really having like suicidal thoughts, dude. Like I was really like, I didn't want to do it anymore, you know? And, um, I talked to my friend Joe and he was like, bro. And I told, I was like straight up honest. Like, yeah, like I'm, I'm thinking like, I don't even want to do this shit no more. Like I can't see my son, you know what I'm saying? Me and her, me and mom don't get along. I hate this job. Like I hate all of this shit. Like, and I'm I'm 19 talking this. He was like, man, you got to put that into something else, man. Like, nah, you know I'm not going to let you do that, you know? And he was like, um, like, consider doing some poetry or something, something. And he and I kind of got into that. I was cool. I was straight. Um, but that was, like, the first outlet. And he was the first person who was like, well, you didn't go to college yet. So that's not really a bad thing. He was like, yo, you still got access to all of that, that financial aid stuff, even if you 22. You got access to this. You got access to grants, um, staffer loan, unsubsidized, subsidized loan. You have all access to that. He was like, you don't want to be like me where you go to college for something you don't really want to do. And now you're trying to get a master's to change your career path. Mm. And so he was like, man, consider going to like SCAD or something like that. Consider like you you like drawing and you've been drawing. And, and I was always like treating that like a bike. Like I would like draw and then put it to the side. Mm. Oh, man, I can always come back to that. You know, and he was just like, nah, dude, like you, you like animation, like consider going to school for animation or something like that. I was like, man, you, you, you're right. And at, around the time that I quit UPS, because uh, my, my doctor, I had a sternum um, uh, strain and she was like, you way too young to be having this issue. Whatever job you got, you need to quit that shit. <laughs> and I quit. And my, and my mom was like, why did you quit without a job lined up? Like I was like, because my doctor told me to quit. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, well, all right, well, uh, here's a temp agency like um, that I because she works at a spectrum as an HR coordinator. So she helps people get jobs. Mm-hmm. So she was like, hey, like talk to this lady and, you know, see what's up. That's when I had to do what they <clears throat> they don't do this anymore. But you had to take a typing class or or you had to like do this typing test to see how many words you could type in a second. So I did that and I, I worked. um in air conditioning, finally, uh, as an assistant, uh, administrative assistant. And when I did that, um, I kept drawing and I was like, listen, like watching anime and all that kind of stuff. Just like everybody else. Like I'm, I'm a fan of it and stuff. And that job at, at, at a point at a year came to a close. And then I had this other job. This is when Obama came in, uh, into office and they were trying to do job, uh, placement, for kids in in the inner city in St. Louis, and so I got a chance to um, work and basically help kids do jobs, like like and, and things that they wanted to do. I'm doing a job I don't want to do, but I'm preaching to these kids to do things that they want to do. And I had looked at myself and I was like, man, like I'm definitely a hypocrite because I'm telling them to go for their dreams, and here it is, I'm want to draw. And I want to do storytelling, and I'm not even doing that. Mm. And so I was like, okay, well, let me try something else. When that when that was done, I looked at my sister because my sister 
uh went to college and she's younger she's my 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 younger big sister like she's she's the one that gave me a lot of a lot of advice okay you know and so she was like you know if you want to go to school like you know let, let's let's like let's look at it. let's look at like ways to do it and i told her straight up i was like if i go to college i do not want to ask mom to help i was like i want to do this on my own like i don't want to put her in debt i don't want to do any of that and she's like let's just google uh interest-free student loans and i was like is that shit even real and she was like i don't know let's just let's just look it up there's this place called the scholarship foundation of st louis i um i look it up and i'm like okay wow like and i was like well let me just come up with some like a little portfolio or some drawings i just drew some stuff i drew drew some things and and i was like well let me just go there i didn't have a car so i was getting on the train and the bus to get there I get to the scholarship foundation St. Louis and I meet this lady named Teresa Scott or uh, stock. And she was at the office at, at the below. And I was like, Hey, I really want to go to college. I really don't know how to like do this. I was like, but here's what I got so far. And I was like, um, and I'm willing to work. I'm willing to do whatever. Um, but I, I, I want to figure it out. She was like, absolutely. Like, let's, let's look it up. Looked at art schools. And then she said, you know what? I wanted to introduce you to the executive director of the scholarship foundation St. Louis. And also maybe we can get you a job to like work at the, the scholar shop, which was like a high scale rescale store. And I was like, all right, well, I've done retail before. It's pretty easy. All I'm doing is putting clothes on hangers and being nice. Like, and I can talk to people. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. I met, I met the, um, executive director. Her name was Faith Sandler. Her, her name is Faith Sandler. I miss Faith. Uh, and ironically, her name is Faith. And um, I met her, and I, I, I sent her my little my little portfolio, my shitty portfolio. Uh, and she she came back to me like a day a day or two later, and was like, "Hey, Anthony, you know, um, look, if you want to go to college." Here's what I'll do. You work at the scholarship foundation, or you work at the scholarship. I'll pay for you to go to the community college. Just go meet this guy Jim Gormley, talk to him, see what's up, and if you like it, cool. I'll pay for it. If not, we'll keep looking. And I went there. I went to the, the to the um uh to the community college, St. St. Louis Flow Valley, and I went there arrogant. I went there so arrogant. I'm like, man, what the? What am I gonna learn at a community college on some art? But I always knew I wanted to learn classically how to do art. I wanted to classically learn how to draw and see. Like I wanted to classically do that. And I felt like the only way I could do that was go to college, you know. Um, and so I went there. I saw I saw the kids and I saw the work that was hanging up because they only put the best work up. And at that time that I went to that school around 2000 um 10 to 12 some of the best artists went to that school and some of the best teachers were teaching there it was a small intimate school mm-hmm. so when i went i went i was like i'll give it a shot you know i don't have to pay to go to college um it's community college it's right down the street from my house in ferguson so i was like all right well you know it ain't, ain't that bad went to my first class favorite teacher Chris Day. Shout out to Chris Day. Um, Chris Day, one of the best artists I've ever seen in person making art. Like, he's the best to me. 
uh, and I, I, I still call and talk to him today, like technique-wise. Getting in class, I'm like, man, this class going to be easy, dude. I, I started in the summer, and I went to school all year round, from the summer, fall, spring, summer, fall, spring. And he took paper, like, like computer paper, and threw it on the floor and was like, we drawing this for two weeks. I was like, that's a piece of cake, bro. It's a piece of cake. It's paper. I sit down and draw that shit. No shot. Hella hard. Imagine trying to draw perspective lines of paper and you got to get all of the negative space too and measured out. And that's when I was humble. And I was like, that's that's when the hum, uh, humility came. And I was like, this is exactly where I need to be because I can't do this. And he pushed me. All my professors pushed me. I went to that school and excelled there because I just stayed longer than everybody else. I got there before everybody else. I drew more than everybody else. And not because I was trying to be competitive. I was like competing against myself. I was like, if I'm going to be good at this, I got to put in the time. And and I didn't quite understand the time. And I related it back to like playing sports and basketball. The times that I did the best at basketball is when I was playing basketball when nobody else was. Mm -hmm. And like, so it was the same thing with art. And I just had the same mentality of sports with art. I was like, if I practice more than you, I guarantee you won't be able to catch up. And so I was like, and and, and, and maybe that's competitive, but I mean, I am competitive in certain, certain aspects. So I came out of there with a 3.89 accumulative GPA from the school. Mm-hmm. And I had like a, um, a, um, a portfolio that was pretty, pretty sturdy. <clears throat> so that, let me fast forward real quick. So, uh, but at what point did at what point did this become full time for you? This came full time after I graduated from college, uh, from from um, Savannah College of Art and Design, and right after I graduated, I was able to be a teacher at, at the school that I started, that the the community college. And so when I started teaching there, they were incentivizing me to do what I wanted to do, but you can teach. And at some point, you know, feel free to dip if you want to. And because I had been doing all of this work and I've met so many people and people could rely on me to give them a result, like that was the thing. If somebody asked me to do something, I can guarantee a result. I can guarantee that the work that I'm going to do is going to be um, executed at this highest level and I can guarantee that you're going to like it because I'm going to listen to what you say and what you want. And so because of that, my first mural was with the Salvation Army in St. Louis. And I had never done a mural. Uh, I'm teaching, only making $1,400. And they was like, hey, just send us a proposal. Like, you know, we heard from word of mouth that, you know, like you, you're a dope artist. Um, hey, here it is. On the same on the same token, I'm also doing um, character designs and storyboards for uh, Lion Forge Comics, which now is Lion Forge Animation, who did Hair Love. So at the, and they're, they're based in St. Louis. So I'm doing all of this at the same time. So I'm learning, like, how to have a client, how to, like, uh, under promise, over deliver. Um and maintain the relationship. So after I do work, I don't just, they're not a transaction. Like mm-hmm. I continuously talk to them. So um, with the Salvation Army, uh, 
I learned I learned how to like come up with a proposal. I learned how to think about how much it costs to make, and uh, and then from that point, it was like I submitted it. As soon at the end, at the end of my tenure at the community college, when I decided like, yeah, I'm ready to go full time, and I I didn't have a plan for real. I really didn't. I didn't have a plan. The only plan I had was um, the Salvation Army said yes to like the little fifteen thousand dollars I said I, that that I, I said it would take me to do. And I was like, well, I could, that's enough cushion for me to uh, to do something, yeah. you know. But at the time, I had like maybe two hundred dollars in my account, mm-hmm. you know, and I just said, fuck it, like I'm just gonna do it. I'm just I, and I just decided to not give myself a a. a a exit strategy, like no exit strategy. I still don't have an ex- exit strategy. And so no eject button. I'm in this plane until that shit, it's either going to go like this or it's going to go like that. I'm not jumping out. It's, it's going to float. Yeah, so you were so passionate about it, there was no plan B. There's no plan yeah, B. Yeah, because usually people have their dream and then they have a plan B. When you give yourself a plan B, you're going to take the plan B. You're going to do it. Why? Why do you say that? The reason why you're going to do it is because, like, when the shits get hard, when it gets hard, you have something to fall back on. Mm. If you don't give yourself a plan B, you're going to make a way that you're going to figure it out. Like, and if you have a plan B, then it gives you a chance to recoil. It gives you it gives you too much cushion for you to um, make mistakes that you feel like you can't come back from. And well, I can just I can just do this then, you know. And and like, you know, it is frustrating when I when you have friends or you you know people that um, really really are talented at certain things and like they they they've been saying that shit for twenty years, fifteen years. Like, man, I'm gonna start this business. I'm gonna do. I'm like that. And and they think that you gotta have a whole setup in order to start. And that's really not true. Mm. I didn't. The only way I was doing murals is because I was living at my mom's house. I was in that sun porch. I was I had my computer and I had an easel and I had a, a projector that she uh shared with me. <laughs> and um and I, I just bought canvases that were twenty four by thirty six and thirty six by forty eight. And I just learned how to transfer a design from a computer to a bigger space and learn how to paint. And so the when people ask like how do you how do you do murals and how do you get started? I just fucking started. Mm. I just grabbed the biggest thing I could do, a canvas and just painted on it. Mm. And you're going to mess up. You're going to be trash. Accept the trash. Accept that you're going to not do really great, but accept that like during that time you're going to learn things. You're going to learn. So like when I jumped and that's why my first painting collection is called the leap uh the leap collection is because I like I leaped and like I talked about like what my leap was like you know him black jesus was literally me like like praying about this all the time like and what do I do like order my steps like you know I invite god in every single thing in my life in my finances my relationship, my my relationship with my son, my relationship with him and, and my parents, uh, my mom, um, everything, my friends, business, all of that. He and all of that. So it's like 
even like the listener, my intuition. I listened to my intuition so much that it went down from being like, hey, do you have your keys? And then now it's like, hey, you need to reach out to this person or you need to repost Overtown right when George Floyd passes away. Don't ask for money. Don't ask for people to, to, to buy anything. And then my career took off. Like, because I just listened to this divine energy that was like, you need to put that out. We tired, we tired of seeing people crying and all of that. We want to see some six little boys smiling right now. Mm. You already made that already. Everybody else want to, you know, everybody else is like making this positive art. You've been doing that already. Just put it out. Mm. That's just, and so, and it's it's a trickle effect. It's over and over again. And, and It's funny though, because maybe before, before George Floyd, people didn't care about it so much. This was in your hometown, no? No, uh, Michael Brown was oh, in my hometown. Okay, yeah. Uh, and that was that was traumatic. Um, but like uh, George Floyd, I can't remember where George Floyd was. But that was like during like the pandemic, dude. So like you couldn't go anywhere. You you had to see that. Like you saw that. You know, it wasn't water cooler like type of thing. Like you know, and why was it important for you to pick? Can you describe that painting for us? Uh, Overtown. Yeah. So Overtown, Overtown and is big. One of my, yeah, it's big. It's forty-eight by sixty, and and I was this was when I was like super insecure about uh, my painting style at the time, um, because when you're an artist, like you, this is why I don't post as much anymore. Is because, but I also like to experiment in my work now because a lot of times with Instagram, you want to feel like you got to put your best shit up. And you, you can't put up process work. You can't put up something where you like messing up because now you feel like I'm going to be judged for what uh, what I put up because, damn, my, my, my client's going to be like, man, that shit wasn't hitting. You know what I'm saying? So if that wasn't hitting, like, I, I can't, that dude ain't consistent or she ain't consistent because it ain't beast mode work all the time. There's every single artist got trash work. Every single person. Every single person, like, you, you got it. Come on. Mm -hmm. So with... Me painting Overtown, I drew Overtown in 2018. I didn't really paint it to, to, until 2019. And I didn't start painting it until 2019 until I had commissions where I took it upon myself to practice on my commission work. And so as at my commission work, I'm painting like white couples, white grandparents, black black people, black uh, little kids and and, and uncles and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, like, so now I'm like, I'm building the muscle again. And so when it came to paint Overtown, I was 100% ready. And Overtown means so much to me because those six boys showed me what, um, those six boys showed me what happiness looked like no matter what. If you've never been to Overtown, Overtown is rough, dude. Like, Overtown... I just finished a mural overtown, dude, and it's like it's people really having a hard time out there, struggling with addiction, homelessness, um, poverty, um, and it's easy to treat them with disrespect. Easy, you know? But you got these kids that live here, that function in this area, that go to this pool and this in this this community center to have fun, and even through all of that, they still smiling. They still hanging out with each other, and to capture that was was like, in like vastly important. And um, Tatum was the guy who took the picture. Like he's a young young um, photographer. Shout out to Tatum. 
And he was like, Mo, you got to paint this. I was like, 100%, I'm about to paint that. And ever since then, it was just like, these six boys, like, they showing love to each other. They smiling. When's the last time you seen, like, men, like, take up, especially black men, because I, I know I don't. Mm. Uh, I, st- I started now. But, like, taking pictures and smiling. Like, it's always a mean mug. It's always that. Them, they did not do that. They were hugging each other. Like, and that was joy to me. And I thought, I was like, dude, I'm going to, like, treat this with responsibility and paint this with that type of intent. And them boys, dude, those little boys changed my life. And so it's nothing for me to go back to Overtown and do this mural out here and be protected. Like, I'm out here in Overtown, nobody bothering me. Like, I'm talking, like, the people that you're ignoring, they like, yo, they watching me paint in a wheelchair. I drop a brush off the lift. He like, no, I got you. Roll over there, pick it up, and give it to me. Damn, I wish you would have told I would have gone out there just to hang out and watch you paint and take some pictures. I, I would have definitely been out there. Man. Because it's cool when you go to the hood. Like, the hood, the heart like of the, the hood. Like, the hood, bro. And then once those people can relate to you, those people are so open and vulnerable, and they're real. They're... They're just themselves. Mm-hmm. They'll talk shit. They'll have fun. If you say something wrong, they'll call you out on it. Yep. They'll challenge you, but yep. they'll show you love too. And especially yep. if they know that you're coming from a place of love and you're putting up a mural and they're going to see that and they, <sighs> they're they right there with you, yeah, they're going to help you. Dude, like, and I mean, like, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now, man. Like, it's just people walking like, yo, like, God gave you that. Like, God gave you that, that skill to do that. I'm like 100% and I'm taking care of that skill. Like, I'm going to sharpen that skill, and I'm going to do whatever it is and whatever it takes to make sure that this is a reflection of that. And when you see it, like, like the, the guy on the back, like, he has, like, a crucifix on his back. Like, you know, holding his daughter, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, those things mean everything to me. And so... Somebody should fact check this, but I think the discrepancy in life expectancy uh, from Overtown... If you grew up in Overtown versus growing up in Coral Gables, I want to say it's like 20 years, 15 wow. or 20 years. I don't know if you can find that. but So just based on zip code alone, there's a lot of studies that support that. Like based on zip code alone, it can determine well whether or not you graduate high school, whether or not you the probability of you being incarcerated, um, life expectancy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, look, I'm not, and I say this often, but um, I'm not saying it's a determinant. But statistically speaking, the cards are against you based on where you're born. Yeah. Right? Because of what you're exposed to as a child, what you're exposed to throughout your life, the number of trauma that you're exposed to. Um, so, yeah, those kids smiling. I- I'm curious to see, you know, how some artists go back and paint those same people 5, 10, 15 years from now and tell the story of where they were in that childhood and see what happens to their life over that period of time. Mm. I'm curious, right? Yeah. And I hope I hope to defy those odds and those boys, you know, Get out of the hood. Yeah. And meanwhile, we have major gentrification where Overtown is being squeezed on all sides. It's getting squeezed. No, yep. it is squeezed. You, mm. I'm sure none of those buildings are owned by African-American people. Nope. None of those buildings are probably owned by nope. people that look like us or grew up like us. Mm-hmm. For the most part, mm-hmm. I, I, I promise you that. Yep. And that's and that's what's so difficult. And and the people who shout out to the Mi- uh, Miami CRA and all all those beautiful people over there, man, at at, at the, at the uh, Lyric Theater is that, you know, there's no energy like that out there. There's no mural out there that's on this level in Overtown. 
because no one's going over there to do it, you know. And this is one of the first times in my life where I felt like this mural isn't for me. Like, this mural is for this community. That's cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, like this isn't for my personal gain. Like, this is for me, like, hey, do this in Overtown and be be where, like, like almost like, like how Jesus is. Like, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not comparing myself to Jesus or anything. But it's like he went where, like, he was needed. Like, you know what I mean? And to go there and to do this mural, they decide to clean the area up, dude. Like, the where the mural is, like, the sidewalk was, like, jacked up, dude. Like, you got, like, needles. You got all kinds of stuff. But then, but the but the sidewalk is, like, broken. So, for me to, like, drive the lift, I'm, like, on that shit, like a Tonka truck driving over this thing. They decide to clean this area. They they redid the the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. They uh, cut in the grass, making sure like like no dirt and no no filth or anything is in this area where this mural is going up. And like to me, that was the there's this man every day that comes there, this older black man come there and prays over that area every day. Every day, no fail. I saw him every morning. You got to take me out there with you, man. You, dog. I'll take my camera out 100%, there. hundred percent. We need to go. All right, I'm down. Like this week, we can go this week before yeah. I go to France, dude. Like, I, dude, it was something. Like I'm talking like people just walking up, like yo, like thank you for doing this. If I, this man walked up and he's a contractor now. He walked up to me straight up. He was like, man, thank you for putting this up. And he was like, if I would have known the history of this building. I would have not sold crack here, dude. He was like, I was making six G's a week doing it here. He said, I would pay that money back if I would have knew this history of this place. I don't believe him. Come on. I don't believe that. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe him. I don't believe that. But, Quit the but, bullshit, man. <laughs> Come on. Six G's. But I was like, that's a lot. Yeah. That's hey, a lot. Tell him pay me then. He's still selling crack in the corner. You better pay me. But he he's a he's a contractor now. And when he told me that, I was like, but th- but that let me know like the history is important, and and being able to take these I take an idea and to make a story out of it and to put it in a in a public place where people can see it. No ticket. You don't need a suit. You don't need a. Uh, wine and cheese and crackers and stuff like that. You can just go out here and just go see it. And I mean, yeah, it's it's surreal, dude. Like it's surreal. Like I, you know, Jr. Right, the artist. Uh uh-uh. uh No. Oh, I'll show you afterwards. But Jr. Um, he puts up pastings though. He's mm-hmm. a photographer, mm-hmm. but now he's an artist. I mean, no, actually, if you're going to France, he's French. I'm gonna okay. show you Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Show me his. Uh, um. So Jr. takes like let's say uh, on the on the Gaza Strip between uh, Palestine and Israel, mm-hmm. he took these huge he, these I mean he took these portraits of people from Palestine and people from Israel, mm-hmm. but like funny faces and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And he puts them up huge, mm-hmm. but he puts the Palestinians on the Israel side and the Israeli side and the Israelis on the Palestinian side. Mm-hmm. And at first, people walk up to the murals and they laugh. Um, and they and they have conversations. Oh, it's funny. Oh, look at this one. Mm-hmm. But then somebody lets them know, hey, did you guys know that those are actually Palestinian faces? Mm-hmm. And so some people all of a sudden Get are pissed. angry mm-hmm. and they're ripping it off. Wow. And they're angry. And so then it starts a conversation. But wait, it's just art. Don't worry. Uh, so the way that the art brings a conversation to that neighborhood. In Brazil, they took a picture of a mom who's, 
who's uh whose child was murdered by rival gangs in the area mm. and they they pasted this huge stairwell so that as you're walking from a from across town, you can see the mural of the mom's face. So again, bringing conversation mm. to say, hey, mm. be aware of, of what this violence does and who it affects because it's not affecting not only those people that you're fighting with, it's, it's affecting the community as a whole. Yeah. So it's it's cool what art can do, especially when when it's on a scale that large where it's in your face. Yeah. And I'm I'm honestly curious. I, I've talked to them. They think I'm crazy, but it's okay. My employees think I'm crazy. Um, <laughs> it's all right. So I want to take some of my artwork, especially some of the ones that are a little bit controversial about Cuba, mm-hmm. and throw them up. But right, I see a huge wall, and I'm like, yo, that I can, I see my artwork on yes, there. Yes, dude, you should do that. And and like you could do like um, what's it called? Like vinyl prints, I think. And you just vinyl that shit. And just psh- yeah, but paper's so much cheaper. Papers. Oh, that's yeah, why Jr. Yeah, does yeah, it with. Yeah, he yeah. does it actually. Yeah. He even shows the procedure, dude. The inside out project. Whatever. I'll, I'll show you. Yeah, afterwards. show me that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. On another note, why are you going to France? Oh man, so um, so my college SCAD, the the school I went to, be, because I excelled there, and they've been super, super um, supportive of my career. Um, they were like, "Yo, we want you to see. If, are you interested in going to France and doing an atelier? An atelier is French for a house gallery, and so basically, um, it's an opportunity to go to, to Lacoste, south of France." Uh, to basically do um, PR, uh, to do interviews, and to make new work out there to sell it. How long are you going to be there for? I'll be there from uh, June. Well, I'm leaving on the 16th of June, and I'm there until September 10th. I am going to France, bro. <laughs> I am going to France, people. I'm just yes, I'm, come to France. I, you let me know. I'll, it will Airbnb. Don't worry. I'm, but I'm down. Dude, come out I have, there. Dude. I've never had an excuse to go to France, but this is a good one. <laughs> dude, and it's it's. I'm really grateful for that because it, it was a process. So like the the president of the school chose the people who go, and uh, I was you know I was chosen chosen to go. Um, and That's it's crazy. A, and it's an opportunity to, you know, really reflect on my life in the in the past couple of years and stuff like that. And, you know, and I'm I'm making two pieces out there specifically while I'm out there um, that I'm going to bring back as prints because the, the originals are going to sell out there. Um, and it's just it's a moment, dude, like where I can just. Like had a new chapter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like have a new chapter and stuff like that. Ha- have some time, and I'm really excited about it. I've never been to France. Like this is my second country to go to, uh, and I'm I'm really excited. Uh, but France is going to be dope. I I need to brush up on my Duolingo though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because because uh, <laughs> I don't know nothing. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna have to uh, Google Google translate it and just mm-hmm. like hear it in my ear. Okay, I need to say that. Um, but um, but yeah, that's why I'm going. I'm going for so. It so what did your son say about you leaving? He didn't want to go to um St. Louis. Um, he wanted to stay in Miami and stuff. But his mom, but it's like you know court order that he has to go to you know in the summer and stuff. So it's a love hate for it because he's like, I really don't want to go to St. Louis, but I don't have to go to work or in schools out and all of that. So he's like, all right, well, cool, I, I'll go. You know. Okay. Um, so he, so, and, and he's not with drill sergeant, 
at this point. Gotcha. So I get he get to wake up when he feel like it, play the game all day, scratch his ass, uh, <laughs> maybe take a shower, and then you know what I'm saying. Like yeah, he, yeah. I'm like, all right, man, you can have that for now. But yeah, for a back, little bit. For a little bit. Go ahead. Go have that for your you know your couple months. You know. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So uh, so you got invited to France. You're gonna be there till September. September. And do you know what you're gonna paint while you're there? Yes. You know exactly. You don't want to talk about that. Or? I don't want to talk. All right, about cool. It. No <laughs> I, I I will say. Well, uh, I don't want to say the name of it yet. But it, it's definitely retrospective. It's definitely me thinking about my past and thinking about where I want to go. Okay. And those are two basically two pieces basically. So you just and so the life of an artist right now. You know that. You're going to France. You're being commissioned to 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 make this art, to create this art. Mm -hmm. September comes. Do you know anything about your life after September? I do. Um, so right now, which and that's something I want to talk to you about, is that uh, one of my new clients is uh, Washington University in St. Louis, uh, which is a medical school. Uh, well, it's a it's a dope university, but they have a great medical medical um, program for for uh, for students. So with my nonprofit organization, we are going to do a mural project, but then also do workshops specifically about art and um, diversity and inclusion. And so as, when I come back, that would be probably one of the projects that we, we work on, um, continue to work on and like get the budget ready and stuff like that and to fly out to St. Louis to do it. Um, so that's one of the things I'm doing. Um, Art Basel, I'm definitely getting suited for that. So all of the work that I'm putting out, I will not be putting on social media. You have to come outside and go see it. Do um, you already know as of now where you show in Art Basel? I'm, yeah. So right now, uh, th th there's a couple things. There's a couple things floating around. One is a possibly a traveling show with uh, Marcus Harvey, who is Nas, Nas the rapper. Yeah. His um, barber shop, or I'm sorry, his barber. Uh -huh. Like he wants to kind of do something like that. So we're in talks about that, um, but I really, really want to show the stuff I did in Africa and these two pieces I'm going to do in France, and um, and I have another piece that I'm going to do in, for Overtown because um, I want to keep that that um, that collection going, like right. those different Overtown pieces. That the mural is a part of the Overtown. Oh, collection. nice, nice, you know nice, nice. So it has a similar feel to it. Yeah. So th this one, this one's more like, it has romantic in it, and it also has. Can you describe the painting, the mural you just put up in Overtown? So the so I'll tell you the name. I haven't seen it actually. Yeah, the name is called Overtown Our Family Tree. That's what it's called, and the mural is basically uh, from left to right is rectangular, and it is of two. Uh, eld like an elderly couple, black elderly couple, uh, in silhouette with a sunset behind them, and basically like that's the romance of like, um, making a new child, right? Uh, but also too, that's when Overtown was flourishing. Uh, Overtown was flourishing with the um, their like the the Harlem of the South, basically. So that's their thing. So after the the city decides to sever the the neighborhood with the highway, then that's where the low income comes in. That's where like you know the poverty comes in. That's where the drug abuse. That's where all of that stuff. comes in. I think in. people don't realize that the manufacturing of I ninety five is what caused a lot of the segregation in, in in Overtown and caused people to not only lose their homes, become homeless, 
um, but then also dropped property values, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And there was no nobody defending the black community at that point in time. No. And that's part of Miami's history that people don't even think about it. But when you think about where ni- where um where it comes through, mm-hmm. where ninety five comes right Literally, over. It's r- like you look up and you see in the train and you see in highway. Yeah. Like and so because of that, like that area took huge hit. So that means that the economy goes down. So all the people that was affluent and doing really well, all the black people, they dipped. All the people that couldn't afford to leave stayed. So as they stayed, then now this showing the next generation of of African Americans in Overtown holding this plant that is like a a, sim, a symbol of hope, but also like rebirth again, right? So then right next to that in the middle in the heart of it is a father holding his daughter and all you see is the back of his head but you see the daughter looking at the 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 audience Mm -hmm. and he has like a crucifix like he has like a chain on his neck but it's like it has like a um like a crucifix on the back Mm -hmm. and without jesus on it because jesus after he resurrected he ain't on that no more Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying that that symbol is like a symbol of like resurrection Mm -hmm. like we out um (laughs) and uh (laughs) and this girl is looking at us, you know what I'm saying? And she's the focal point because I want to show that, especially in this piece, black women are like generating new people, like new people, mm-hmm. right? And um, so this this little girl, her father, they grow up and now she's sitting on his shoulder now and he's older, she's older. And then next to that is that younger girl being an activist with her hand, her hand in that fist up in the air. Mm. And so the the point of it is, is that it's a cycle. So that young girl at the end, that's a that is is the activist. She will become that old lady. And like uh, that's at the very beginning, the elderly lady. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to repeat this cycle over and over and over again of hope courage resilience and we're going to go get it and that is what that piece is about and um we're making a documentary based off of this um and i'm making another painting a oil painting based off of this let me ask you something and it's something that i've and this is these are hard questions to ask sometimes right Mm -hmm. but when we talk about we start talking about the black community right Mm -hmm. um and we start talking about different communities Mm -hmm. do you feel that like we have Black History Month, we have Juneteenth coming up, right? We have all these different holidays, and I think it's extremely important for us to remember these holidays. Do you feel that in some instances, oh, and then something else, like I've worked for a black-owned practice before, mm-hmm. and I remember at first I was almost offended, right? Because mm-hmm. I was like, Yo, what if I had a Hispanic-only practice or a white-owned practice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are we causing more segregation by putting so much emphasis on the color of our skin, which we have no control over? Mm-hmm. And do you feel that, like, why? Is, and I know that historically, black people have been marginalized and, and segregated. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that we get to an extent where that could also have a negative effect, where we're actually, uh, in a way, instilling racism now from the black community to the white community? Mm-hmm. And again, this is a fucking hard question. It is to a hard ask. question. It's a hard question. And I'm not, I, look, it's not putting pressure on you to no, answer no, no. for every black right. person out there, right? <laughs> I'm going to do my best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think, I, I th- this this is my thing, dude. 
um, I used to think that. I used to think that um, as far as the black experience, I got to completely and utterly talk about the issue mm-hmm. all the time. I got to continuously talk about the things that, that are plaguing our society. It's, it's literally just like talking about anything. If I talk about the positive sides of things, I'm going to get positive results. If I keep talking about the negative side of things, I'm going to keep seeing it over mm-hmm. and over and over again. So to make this concise mm-hmm. is that if I'm if my intent is to divide, I will. If my intent is to um, like bring people together, I will. So that's the truth of that. I think that coming back from Africa, going out the country for the very first time ever uh, on an artist residency to be in West Ghana and to step foot and walk around in Cape Coast Castle, which is a seven, 17th century or, fifth, or 16th century castle that housed like African slaves in it before they go to the ivory coast and hit the states Mm -hmm. like and learn about where we came from and to understand that like me being in america and which also learning that african-american took on a whole nother like uh definition for me is that i didn't have a choice to be american i didn't have a damn choice Mm -hmm. like i didn't have a choice to come from Africa to come to America. I didn't have a choice, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and some people um, chose to not live because they didn't want to be in that in that, in that that process. Mm-hmm. And then to learn that 60% of all of those people that were coming from, like, as slaves from Africa to the States, in between that, 60% are in Brazil. Then you got 12% are in America. So when I look around and I look at America and I'm seeing black people like, damn, it's that's only 12 percent of us that made it over here, like like, generationally. So then that's when I realized I have a big ass responsibility to do something with information. Mm -hmm. And so with that information is that. I am no longer talking about the problem anymore. I have no time, no patience to sit and talk about all of the shit that we all know is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, the issue with America, in my opinion, is that until accountability has been, um, I guess, uh, put on the forefront to say that, yeah, we really, we, we kind of fucked up a little bit mm-hmm. and um, we sorry for doing that to y'all and we've been doing it and we should probably stop. Like, I think that ship has sailed already because like now it's like we don't really want like people don't really want the apology. Now we just want just action. We just want shit to just change. We don't, and, and and we're not a violent people. We're not a we're not that. Like we we're not gonna retaliate and <laughs> and, and, and put white people in slavery. Yeah. Like we're not gonna do that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care enough about that to do that. You know. So for me, that's an example of Overtown. That's an example of this mural I just did. That's an example of all the work I'm doing. I'm only focusing on what I want to see. All I want to see is black people thriving. I want to see like real intent. I want to see growth. I want to see that we help each other. I want to see that and, and in other communities too. You know what I'm saying? That's why a little Havana, like 
he not just a black kid. That's a that's a Afro Cuban kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling everybody's story. You know what I mean? And I'm just gonna make sure that I'm I'm doing it in the most responsible and and respectful way as possible. If I do that, and if I talk about what I want and and what I want to see, and I feel like that's all I really need to do. And in those blurred lines of racism, man, like you choosing to do that one. Mm-hmm. That's a choice. Like I don't choose to talk about racism. I don't choose to um, digest mentally and all these different things. I don't. I just don't care about it anymore. You want to use the N word? I mean, don't say it around the right, the wrong person, mm-hmm. and and you be like getting your ass beat, and you're trying to figure out why. I'm like, you can make it do that around your homies, but if you go to Overtown rocking that, that might not happen. Yeah. You know. But for me, it's just like I can't control anyone. Um, only thing I can do is control myself, and I can be the change that I want to see. That's it. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be what I want to see. So I guess more than anything, you just want to empower people through your artwork. Yeah, dude, and 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 at a face value, like it would sound like you know that's the easy shit to say. Like like oh, I want to I want to change the world, yeah. and I wanna I wanna make my work work for dude. Like it changed for me. It's more of a responsibility to me. Like coming from Africa, when I when there is no option for you, like and walking in themselves, dude. Like I'm just choosing to make this. I I'm not gonna sit out out here and be like. Uh, I want to change the world, but then I'm like I said earlier, like I'm gonna have like a, uh, but I'm gonna paint Tweety Bird with tattoos. Like, <laughs> come on, like that's not like that's not real. That's that's now you using it. Mm. Now you using people, and you're trying to capitalize off of that. For me, I that's I I don't I don't I, like quite frankly I don't fuck with that. Mm. Like you know, but to be honest, like I'm just at the point where it's just like I really don't care what anybody else is doing, and when it comes to race and things like that, I know that what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure my son is straight and that like everything that I make that he's proud of, my mom is proud of, mm-hmm. my sister I'm proud of, my community is proud of, and if and if I'm going to uh, create some artwork, it got to mean something. Yeah. It has to mean something, and it's not it's going to be beyond just like a portrait of a person's face. Like, what am I saying with this mm-hmm. face? Like, what am I saying with this person? What am I saying with this gesture and these colors and all of that? And if, and it has to outlive me. Yeah. That's it. Oh, and it will. Yeah. Yeah. I just think racism is this. I think racism is just plain ignorant, right? Cause you're sitting across from me and like, look, your color is apparent to me. You're darker than me. Right. But who cares? I ain't worried about that. I'm worried about the ideas. I'm, I'm like, oh, Mojo produces dope art. Mojo is down to go work out. Drink can, a beer. We can relate. Yeah. We, we're both figuring out how to be parents in this world. I'm not concerned about that. And I think, mm-hmm. and this exists in my culture a lot. And if you go to Cuba, the Afro-Cuban community is everywhere. If you go to Havana, majority are black. Mm-hmm. But then there's this racism that's ingrained in us where like Mojo, you're this tone, but if you find a, a kid on your block who's darker than you, you are racist towards him. Yeah, dude. So it's almost like the more light you are, the more privileged you feel. Mm-hmm. And I don't get it. And I and I and just to add, and just to be transparent, like um, I've heard 
people very close to me say racist things and I'm mm -hmm. just like mm -hmm. but then a black person will be around and be like oh no but not him I'm like no mm -hmm. so don't you get it like mm -hmm. you are just using a blanket statement to define a group of people based on their skin color mm -hmm. without getting to know who they are mm -hmm. and that goes the same thing if you are calling Jews one thing yep. if you're referring to um you know, a gay dude or anybody in mm -hmm. the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. like if you are just using a blanket statement mm -hmm. without getting to know individuals within that community, well, then I, I don't need to deal with you. Yeah, dude. Because you're just mm -hmm. ignorant. Yep. Like, and y'all can stay in that hellhole y'all in. Like, y'all can stay <laughs> over there. Stay over there, do bonfires, do whatever you need yeah, to do. Yeah. Enjoy that. And it's like, it's, it's just, you know, that's the thing about, um, like that's why black history it, it is very important to American history is because you see what it's like you seeing what it takes to have equal rights when people don't want you to have them like or they they you seeing the effect of it like and you seeing like damn like this is clearly wrong or wow I really just want to do this or uh, I want to vote why are they like suppressing votes oh they don't want they basically don't want you to be able to have a voice to acknowledge what you want mm -hmm. so it's like when you start to see that and you start to understand like the fight that we fighting is the same fight it's the same one you know and what's happening now i mean it's it's silly dude like it's silly and it's it just i just don't have i don't have a bandwidth toward dude like and I, I was talking to my cousin and and i told him i was like yeah i'm going to france to go to do this painting thing and he was like, man, he said, I'm going to be honest with you. He was like, as an artist, he like, you you have to go out there. He was like, and he was like, because you need to see what it feels like to create and to just be your beautiful, black, handsome self <laughs> out of the country and make stuff and see what it feels like to be like um, treated way differently than just being like treated like a black person in America. So like my, if you think about Miles Davis, he he was out in Paris like he in in what like in his time like with the the sixties mm -hmm. and stuff like that, he was crushing it. When he came back to the states, it, he was getting treated so differently. He was like, "What is going on here?" Like, and but I think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that like you're not when you go out there, you're not gonna be treated like a, a normal black person, like how they treat normal black people. Like for example, and this is a small example out doing a mural and one of the ladies that was like uh you know sick um on her on her unfortunate medicine and she's laying in the middle of the so like the you're talking about heroin addicts. yeah heroin so heroin's huge in overtown heroin heroin's everywhere in overtown right now oh my god if you gosh. walk around you will see people eat, injecting in front of you smoking heroin in front of you using <laughs> heroin people most people don't see that in miami because they stay on the pretty streets Guys, you gotta. If you want to drive around Miami, you want a tour of Miami, a real one. I'll be happy, happy to, to drive you around downtown. And whenever I have relatives or anybody that comes from out of town, I'm like, I'm glad I've shown you every, all the beautiful parts of Miami. Now we're gonna go down some back streets oh my and gosh. show you that it's not all beautiful around here. Dude, I asked my son. He hit me. He hit me with this line. He was like, "Yo, man, all my friends are, uh, you know, they're not coming to class for for the last, you know, couple days. Like, you know." I was like, yeah, all words. Like, so you basically saying you don't want to go to class or whatever. And then I'm, I'm, I started the mural. I'm working on the mural. 
And I was like, yo, like, you can come down to uh, Overtown with me. You can come down to the mural. Like, I would 100% take you to the mural with me. You don't have to go to school. Mm -hmm. Come out there with me. And I was like, and I said, I said, it's hard, though. I said, it's, it's pretty hard out there, though. Like, it ain't, it ain't, ain't no piece of cake. I was <laughs> like, you know, but you ain't got to go to school. Mm -hmm. And and I told him, like, yo, like, I, I, I was telling stories about some of the stuff I've seen. Like, I've seen some stuff, doc. Like, mm -hmm. I'm seeing the dude, like, it's raining. He running up in the middle down the street. He laying on the ground, like washing himself with the rainwater, dude, like randomly going to people and doing this for like 30 minutes. And I was like, so Jay, you want to come with me to, to, to overtime? Well, when I do this mural, instead of go to school, he was like, he was like, nah, I'd rather get my, my, uh, you should have taken him. You should have taken him. <laughs> I, I, I'm so, I'm so mad. I didn't take him. You should have taken him. And, and he was like, he was like, he's like, nah, I'd rather get my attendance up. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. I'm, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make him go. Cause I want him to see it. And I'm gonna make him go right before you night. You should. <laughs> I think Erica, you had a question for Mojo, right? Um, which one was it? Oh, when you said um, that night that you were talking to the psychologist and you were trying to disaster or whatever, <laughs> were you a dad at that point or not yet? Yeah, this was recent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I was a dad. Yeah. How did that change how you approach parenting after? Like, did it affect how you now approach life with your son? Oh, it changed. Oh, my gosh. It changed so much because it made me have them deeper conversations it made me really consider what I was doing versus what I was telling him to do because like, it was just, it, it was just like such a shift. It was a shift. Um, because, and I was really overwhelmed at first too. Cause I was like, damn, like I, I gotta do a lot of stuff right now. Like I gotta make sure he, I gotta cook food for him. Uh, and then that's what I was like, okay, I gotta teach him how to cook. And his great his grandfather his great grandfather who's eighty years old who basically he stayed with a lot uh, in St Louis um, when you know his mom was working and stuff and we had a conversation you know and I called him I thanked him for all that work he did and raising my son you know when me and Michelle was going through what we was going through and stuff I like straight thanked him I was like thank you for that I was like you didn't have to do that and he takes he takes accountability for the fact that like he's lazy or he takes the camera. I was like, nah, man, that's my fault, dude. Like some of this, you ain't taking all of that blame for that. Mm -hmm. And after that talk with Lonnie, I just started taking accountability for my son. Like all stuff he couldn't do and all stuff he could do. I'm like, okay, wow. He's, I can see these things, but the things he can't do, I got to take accountability mm -hmm. for that. And I did. And I, and, and when I talked to his grandfather, he straight up was like, he's like, he said, I love my grandson, but he is incredibly lazy. And he was like, and he's like, but I really want him to learn whatever you did. I want that to rub off on him. He was like, and this is such a perfect time that he's living with you. Hmm. He was like, he living with you. He was like, he said, I, I, he was like, I firmly agree with discipline. He said, I firmly agree. He said, I am never going to like, uh, counteract that at all. And so he told me that I was like, damn, I got the green light from grandpa. Like the same one that raised his my Jaden's mom, I'm like, so I know that's gonna trump whatever she say. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I said, say no more. And he was like, hey, he needs to know how to get. He needs to memorize his phone number, your phone number. He needs to know how to get home. He needs to know how to cook for himself. He needs to know all all these things. And I was like, a hundred percent, Roger that, dog. And then when I tell his mom these things, she's like, he's still my baby. That's my precious cargo in that <laughs> airplane. I said, dude, I don't have, come on. Like that's that, that kid you talking about, 
he over here talking about girls, bro. And he talking for real. Like, he asking me the real stuff. So I'm like, that same kid is not, that's not him, bro. Like, you need to, you need to dead that shit because yeah. that shit's over. Yeah. Like, that, 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 that uh part of him is over. Yeah, she wants to see her baby boy still going through childhood and he's already, he's on his way to manhood. <laughs> Dog. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, Tell me a little bit about, I guess I got two more questions for you. So Healing with Hughes. What's mm. what's Healing with Hughes about, just so that you let people know? So Healing with Hughes is my um, 501c3 nonprofit organization um, that I started here in Florida um, with the help of Nicholas Duran, who is a um, House of Representative here in Florida. I met him at uh, Carnival on the Mile. Super awesome. He specializes in... Um, nonprofit work and so i came to him very transparently open and honest and like hey man i've been wanting to do a nonprofit for a really long time and i just basically wanted to take my mission and just amplify it amp yeah. uh and i wanted to amplify it and i was like um i i need some help i don't really know how to do this but whatever it take i'm gonna figure it out he was like say no more and healing with hughes now um uh, is established and it has three pillars. So the three pillars are youth development, uh, community art activation and installation, and healing with art. So I definitely do not do not claim to be a therapist. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I do understand the healing healing factors of art. Uh, it, it helped me a lot, and I've, I've learned how it helped others, and I'm seeing it in real time happen in other people's um other people's lives and stuff and so that's what healing with hughes is mm. that's what it is and it's exactly what we're doing at overtown go go in there do a mural it makes them want to beautify the area and bring people out there then that's that's what we do youth development which i'll be talking at uh fiu later on tonight uh, is to basically educate the youth yo you want to be an artist all right, this is how you do it. You know, this is this is how I did it. You know, this are some things to consider, you know, um, and take these notes and screenshot this. So Go how does them. one become an artist? That was my last question, actually. How, how do you, how, what is the role? So somebody's listening right now. They want to know they, they're talented. Um, somebody like Jimmy, Jimmy, who was on here, Art mm -hmm. Monster. Shout out to Jimmy. Shout out to Art Monster. <laughs> Shout out to Jimmy, man, the um, homie. So yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy, somebody who looks up to you a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, how do you get somebody like Jimmy who really hasn't exposed himself? Well, Jimmy has, but I'm saying somebody like Jimmy who has not and who's trying to come up and understand the business side. How can I live? How can art be my livelihood? I guess real quick, what's some advice or some structure you could give them? Um, the biggest thing is you got to understand that as an artist, you're inherently an entrepreneur. You got to just realize the fact that you're an entrepreneur. You are your own business. Um, the next thing is, is that as, as an entrepreneur, in order to be a, a successful one, you have to have rituals and routines. And on that, in that ritual and routine, you got to be on the, on your mojo betterment camp. Like you have to be as good as possible and on your shit. So the, the first question I ask myself, if you're an artist, cause you'll know you're an artist. If you like to draw, if you like to write poems, if you like to, uh, write stories, short stories, uh, take pictures, all of that. You're already an artist. I think everybody's an artist. Like, I, like I don't, and I don't think you have to paint or draw or 
take a picture to be an artist. Like there are people that are artists that are great at doing business plans. Mm -hmm. That's an artist. Like a person that is an architect, you're an artist. If you like doing event planning, that's artistry. The the thing is that I always ask myself, if you want to be an artist and you want to be full time, the first question I ask everybody, would you hire yourself? Mm. And the other question is, if you did hire yourself, would you fire yourself? <laughs> so the question is, if the answer is, man, I would not hire myself because I'm inconsistent, then you got to figure that part out. If I'm, I love doing art, but it takes me like seven months to finish one thing, then you need to work on that. Like if you um, if you're really good at art, but you cannot talk about your work, you need to work on that. Like so definitely got to know how to talk about your work. Um, and you already are an artist. You already are it. You know, what I mean, just and develop your own unique, authentic voice, period. Like do not make what other people make. Don't regurgitate other people's work like make your own work be an individual that is like sounds like life advice it's life advice like art is life like art is life like er, er, when i was teaching art that's how i talked about figure drawing it was about life i'm like dude like you're not going to know how to draw the human figure if you don't look at it you're not you're, you're not going to get better unless you practice it you know so like you got to have your own voice like develop your own voice and how you do that is just by figuring out who you are first. Who are you? Why are you here? Those That's the biggest question. Why are you here? And if your why is simple and you're not crying about it, then you don't know it yet. You know, so for me, my why, I'm, I cried when I figured out my why, you know. And the funny thing is it changes all the time. Mm. It changes a lot. So, like, if your why is the same from when you started four or five, six years ago, then now you need to ask yourself, well, why am I actually really doing this? So the business side of things is just like make sure that when you got to know your worth first. And the only way to really know your worth uh, numerically and financially is you got to know that like your worth outside of that. Like, are you worthy? And for me, it took me a while to really feel like I was worthy as a black man, like uh, as a father and things like that, I was trying to figure out, like, uh, am I worth this work that, that I'm doing? Uh, or if I say this number and I know this is a fair number and they, like, questioning this number, do I go down on that number? So the your worth, you got to develop that, and that shit got to be ironclad. Like, you got to be like, I, I can do this. Not cocky and not arrogant, but just confident. Like, I am worth this. Like, I because I... I can guarantee a result all the time and I execute at the highest level. Yeah. I'm, I can raise my price every, every time mm. and start with a price that you are comfortable with that, that, yeah, basically that you're comfortable with. If you're comfortable with this number, then stay there and build it up, like build it up incrementally. If you pick a number and you're doing this work and you fucking hate it, and you like, man, I really should have asked for more. Then you should you should have raised that. You should raise <laughs> it, you know, until you're like, OK, I think that's good. I think I think I think twenty that twenty thousand dollars for a mural is good, you know, or I think twelve thousand dollars is good, you know, 
uh, that's a big ass wall. Hmm. <laughs> like, damn. Yeah, dude. you gotta look at the paint. You gotta look at everything from a business perspective. Yeah, you got. You could charge twenty grand, but if you're gonna spend fifteen grand on paint, sixteen grand on paint, then you're not making nothing. It costs. I'm telling you straight up. It costs twenty five hundred dollars to make a mural. That's including a, a scissor lift, materials, uh, miscellaneous if you need to get extra stuff, uh, gloves, paper towels, whatever you need. That's your overhead. Overhead. That you might so whatever, however much you want to make, add that to it. Yeah. And don't and if you do you want social media people on it? You want you want somebody that can record it, you gotta pay them too. Mm-hmm. And then also on top of that, okay, uh I need a contractor to help me paint this wall and, and do the promise so I don't have to do all that. Yep, I gotta pay that person too. Mm-hmm. So but if you're doing it all by yourself, you know, then you know, you gotta consider how much you wanna make. Mm-hmm. How much how much does your rent cost? Like if somebody hit you with if if rent costs twenty five hundred dollars and somebody come to you and say hey uh, I want to give you a mural for five thousand dollars and you are and like I just said that twenty five hundred dollars it costs to make it and now you only got enough to uh, pay rent for one month then I would probably rethink that mm-hmm. like I would rethink that you know so for me like when when I do anything small that shit at least gotta cover my rent at like at least mm-hmm. like you know. Um, but if it's a big project, like at least for me now, like I, I was able to build to, to where I'm at with that now is, um, like I'm comfortable with saying $20,000. Yeah. I'm comfortable with saying $25,000. I'm comfortable with saying $48,000. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want that big ass wall? Yeah, dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I gotta get, I gotta get the health insurance for that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, and, and also like I'm coming with a team. You know, if it's just you and you want to get into it, you want to you want to do murals or you want to do painting and stuff like that. Figure out why you want to do it first. Like figure that out first. Figure out that develop your um, your worth in yourself. Like you like you have to do that first, because then you if you don't do that, then you're not going to be comfortable with your price. You know what I'm saying? As soon as you say, like, I feel strong in myself that like I can do this and I I stand behind what I'm saying, you know, whatever whatever you stand behind and then develop your number from that. Yeah. And I think I mean I think that's important advice for anybody who's stepping into any business is know your worth, know your value, know the skills that you bring. If you are a freelancer or entrepreneur, know your overhead because if you're charging less than what you're making or you're not making much then then you have just said that your skill is worth zero actually. Yep. So, I mean, if you're just practicing, cool, go practice. I, I get it. Um, but you definitely have to know your worth, know your value, and be willing to stand by that value. Mm-hmm. Because people are going to often tell you, and you've seen the, the Instagram memes where it's like a photographer posting, is like, or, or an artist says, oh, I can get somebody to do it cheaper. Yeah, and then they show them a stick figure. Because yep. you know, you're going to get what you pay for. And yep. if somebody like, like yourself who understands your craft, understands your skill, and understands the magnitude of doing this on a mural, mm-hmm. like, you know what you're doing. Yep. You've, you've been around the block. You've you've put in the time, and so that's why you know your worth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And two, like, you know, sometimes, like, when you are doing this work, you know, like, there, there there's, there's a, a couple of hacks. A couple of hacks is this. Number one, like, and I, I've, I've battled with this a lot, is that don't do more work until they have hit you with a deposit, bro. 
Like, do not, dude. Because the thing is, like, you're going to be like, man, I'm doing all this extra work, and they, they ain't even pay me yet. If you are an artist and you're doing submissions and stuff like that, and they say, hey, can you send in some sketches, and they ain't giving you no money, write it out. That's my that's my new thing is that I write. I literally write out what the project is going to be and what it's going to look like, what the colors are going to be, why I did it, all of that. So that's very important. Um, and just develop a, a like a... I guess a muscle of being able to adapt and pivot. Like you have to be able to do that one. So especially with like murals and stuff like that, I have the same process with the mural. That shit is always different. Every wall is different. Every single wall. My boy Nate D, shout out to Nate D, said that to me once and I, I never forgot it. He was like, dude, every wall is different. Every single wall. Like I could be like, all right, man, this wall is perfect. It's white, it's wide, whatever. And then when it's time to actually draw on it, damn, there's a tree casting a shadow on it, and now I can't see this side of the, of the drawing. Or this spot is really good, or this this wall is dope, or it's a good contract, but then it got, like, these rivets mm-hmm. in it. It's like, so now you learn how to adapt and, and use new material. So try new stuff. Be able to adapt. you got to be able to adapt. Awesome, man. Yeah. Mojo, any, any last words? Any questions from you guys whatsoever? No. Okay, I probably talked that ear. Nah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mojo, where can where can people find you? Man, everybody can find me on Instagram at uh got the mojo. Um you can also do Healing with Hughes. Uh my website is gotthemojo.com. Healing with Hughes is uh healingwithhughes.org. Um but yeah, everything I'm doing I put on Instagram. Um and yeah, that's that's pretty much it, man. Well, awesome, Mojo. Hey, Mojo, thanks for coming through. This was long overdue. Yes, long overdue, man. So appreciate My it. Guy. We need a beer after that, Doc. Nah. <laughs> after the, and I need to talk more parenting. I love being a parent. Let me just say that. <laughs> I do That's love it. it. Uh, it's not easy. That's it's all. not easy. I love my son, man, but we're going to get him together. There you go. <laughs> That's all it is. All right, Mojo. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Thanks, appreciate man. it.